Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. It's just booze right just, now. So. Did you pour my drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay, so you bought the log jammer. I sure did. You did. And I have not asked you prior to the show, so I want to learn myself. What was the, where did the idea come from? <laughs> what was the thought behind that? And I'm seeing how you're using it as a marketing piece, which is a tremendous idea. But was that part of the original decision or did you buy it without knowing what you were going to so do? Really, with it? somebody just reached out to me about it as a joke, like saying, hey, this is on here. I thought nothing of it. Then I was buying pinball machines mm -hmm. off somebody else, and they said, you're the first person I thought of when I saw this. So I looked into it, and I thought, that would be really cool. And I was like, what do you think it's going to go for? Cool for what? I just don't know. Cool just cool. To have it. You know? Okay. One of those things where it's like, it's cool to have 20 guitars, but you can't play them. No. I mean, you could play one at a time. Yeah. But you're not going to have 20 people in uh, here. Right point made. I get it. Okay. Okay. But you can ride four people in that log jammer. Uh, Where? <laughs> Steubenville Pike. We almost had to ride home from that event, by the way. So when I looked at it, I thought to myself, what would a realistic number be that I would pay for this? And what is the cause for? Because I prefer to donate to Children's mm -hmm. Hospital. I know there's a lot of great projects out there like wounded warrior i mean i support so many of them but the biggest one i normally try and do is children's hospital mm -hmm. and everybody knows that i'm a big theme park person it's like you know oh, yeah ultimate goal well by the end of the time i was reading it it, it was called uh give kids the world and i didn't know what they were what they were about because mm -hmm. at first i looked at my brother who's our accountant mm -hmm. and said you know what do we need to know as far as deduction values go? Because I'd love to have this, but I don't want to spend a lot of money on it just to have the log jammer. And he said, well, they they essentially assign a value to the item. Okay. You can't deduct the value of the item. So if you were at an auction, and this actually happened to one of my mentors, which we could talk about later. Sure. Uh, he bought a motorcycle at Troy Palomalu's Luau for like $36,000. Okay. But they announced it was worth 18000 so you would think he still gets to deduct 36000 because that's what he paid, right? He could only deduct above the actual value of the item that he received. So he only got to deduct half of that. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I don't want to sit here and spend $5,000 on this log jam. So you learned a lesson there. I did learn a very, very valuable lesson. And I was with him. He actually had, he's <laughs> okay. like, watch this. I'm going to win this no matter what. <laughs> he was actually trying to stick it on somebody else and ended up with it. But that's a whole other story. Oh. Um, live auctions. Yeah, live auctions. So he told me, you know, they assign a value to it and anything above that is what you can deduct. And I said, okay, I'm not really sure I'm going to bid on it. Well, then, like I said, I investigated a little bit about the charity and saw it was this give, give kids the world, I think is the exact name of it. And what it does is they have like a theme park in Orlando. I don't know if they're associated with Disney and Universal at all, but they take these terminally ill children or extremely sick children and their entire families and take them to an amusement park set up to where they can enjoy the ride, wow. live the life that they might not get to experience mm -hmm. one day. Mm -hmm. And uh, it touched a soft spot with me just like Children's Hospital does. And I thought to myself, well, now I don't really mind 
what the number is going to be. You know where the money's going. I know where it's going. It's right. going to a very good cause. Right. Got it. So at that point, it was now uh, greed of wanting the log jammer. <laughs> And knowing, <laughs> and knowing that it was going to a very good cause rather than just me being uh, selfish. Okay. So okay. <laughs> a combination of the two is what won it. And uh, when the news company came, or I think it was KDK, when they came and started asking me questions about it, and they were like, well, how did you bid on this? What made you do this? The first bid on there was something like $100. Then it went to $200, $300. I was like, there's no way somebody's going to pay what I'm willing to, because what are you going to do with this thing? It's 450 pounds and 10 feet long. Who has room for that? <laughs> That's bigger than one of our conference rooms, just putting it out there. <laughs> so I, I threw out a large bid, got buried in like 10 seconds. I said, mm -hmm. I'm not touching this again until the last day. And then the last day, I went on and threw out 10,000 and some change. And the news got it wrong when they said I paid like 11100 I actually paid like 10000 and some change because the person who bid that initial highest bid, whoever kept outbidding me was the same person because you know how it shows you mm -hmm. who it was. They didn't have the money to buy it. Oh. So oh. they called me. Got it. And said, got since it. we're a nonprofit and we don't have to pay eBay's where the auction was being held, right. we can deal directly with you. And the first bidder has backed out of the purchase would you like to still make the donation? Mm -hmm. And I told them absolutely, and let's work something out. So a week later. There you go. Yeah. Tried to ride down the, is that the Allegheny? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that thing floats. Although, I don't, it I don't went, know. It went well down Carson Street. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you, the idea of using it as a marketing piece, that's a rather general statement, but I've used it now at events, and other races mm -hmm. have used it at events, and it's a huge draw. It is. Now, honestly, mm -hmm. did you see that coming, or did that did it evolve? Because it could have been one ice, one, one big beer cooler. So, we could have used it for that, too, right? <laughs> a big joke with my wife and I is always any of these ridiculous purchase, purchases I make, because let's be honest, there's a few of them, uh, I'll always call my brother first thing. And like I said, talk about the tax deduction. And I said, can we deduct it for a marketing piece? Because I didn't even tell him it was for a charity. Can we deduct it for a marketing piece at first? Can we do that? Well, the company name is Cowden Creek. I guess you could put it in a creek and float it down. You could, you could, if we did an advertisement with it, he goes, I, remember, Mike, you don't have to justify it to me. You have to justify it to the IRS. He goes, you can sell me anything, but the IRS might be a little bit tougher. So at that point I was like, ah shit this isn't gonna work <laughs> so then i converted over to the uh understanding the charity a little bit more and that's when i told him i said well how much of it for charity and that's when that whole conversation mm -hmm. happened he said well after the actual value of the item 100 percent, and i was like it's no longer a marketing piece it's both <laughs> got so, it got it so yeah but then then the idea started flowing <laughs> if you will <laughs> about a rather poor pun but we'll, we'll let that one go it's not going to be the only one of the night uh it, it it got the ideas really flowing of how we're going to use it and then we had suggestions of using it down at uh the point and doing things like that so mm. i was at a fundraiser event at the clemeni museum bill peduto was there and just happened to say you know hey i'm the guy that bought the log jammer and if I get that thing motorized, can I put it in the water? Can I? He told me he'd let me lead the parade with it. So 
I do plan on shooting and you'll, a And you'll probably hold him to that, oh, too. I'm going to. Uh, trust me, I will. Whether he's there or not, I'm going to hold it to whoever is. Uh, I want to get a second. Ask him about them bike lanes. Uh, I heard that their bus lanes are doing a little bit better today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had a bus fall in a sinkhole here in Pittsburgh today. Yeah, it looked like something out of a... Marvel uh, yeah, and movie. I'm surprised you weren't down there figuring out a way to market that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd see if the logjam was motorized, I would have pulled them out or something, but not yet. So, but yeah, that, that's the whole idea behind the logjam. All right. Well, we're going to circle all the way back around, but right off the bat, um, for me to you, congratulations on the on the incredible success of Calvin Creek. Thank you. Not that it was unexpected. It was not unexpected, at least not from me or from many of my contemporaries, but the pace of it. The speed in which all this has happened is quite astonishing. So, talk a little bit about that. Where are where where are we as a company compared to where we are, and how far ahead are we from your initial plans? And then we'll circle all the way back. Yeah, we could definitely talk about. Okay. That. So, and you're welcome, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast brought to you by. <laughs> so, I told you. Let, let's let's go into initial thoughts. Where, where did I think we would be at this point in time? Right. So I had goals. Mm-hmm. We've exceeded them greatly as far as where I thought we would be. And I, I normally consider myself a pretty big dreamer, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As to where I did think we'd have a second office open by the end of this year, which that isn't happening, but we're twice the size of what I thought we would be, and we've just obtained more square footage in our current location. So... We're technically like three times the size, not twice. but Which was already astonishingly big the first time I walked in the door. Right, yeah. I'm my dad. I'm my dad. <laughs> uh, currently licensed under, so we have a little over 40 agents, and we have a handful more coming before the end of the year in classes and such and transitioning over. Uh, we'll be at about 50 agents by the end of the year. This year, we're just capping over $60 million in sales and have just under 400 in sales so far right now for the year. That's not from when we open. That's just this mm-hmm. year. So, but we're only at the 18 month, roughly the 18, 19th month. Correct. It depends on what you count it by. So it was officially licensed in March of 2018. The doors opened at Cowden Creek, September 1st. Right. So that should be the starting point. Yeah. So we're 13 months in, in that manner. (laughs) 13 months. Yeah. There's a, there's a famous quote talking about all these, you know, millionaires and billionaires saying that like, uh, that Jeff guy who started Amazon started in his garage, uh, Bill Gates started in his garage or in his living Garages room. Garages were a thing. Yeah. And, you know, I realized the first problem was the joke is in the meme that I don't have a garage. Uh, <laughs> but we, we were, there was about four agents in my dining room where I was holding trainings weekly for the first four months until we got the office space ready to at least practice out of there because we had the office, but we were doing renovations mm-hmm. to make it the way we needed it to be for mm-hmm. not only code, but how we wanted it to be. So it's just interesting to be working out of a dining room compared to where we're at now. When I joined you, I think I was there for the last month before we opened. Yeah, absolutely. Before the doors opened mm-hmm. up. Yeah, yeah. And I did sit at his dining room table in right business. Yeah, actually right fun. up contracts. We, we, we yeah. drank. Yeah. And it was good. I had popcorn. It's the only way to get through it. We had some pizza. <laughs> those, those are all, I think those will always be the time you'll remember. Absolutely. I mean, we have a can't... picture of the group of us sitting at a dining room table. Uh, hopefully it's one of those pictures in a meme one day. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Yeah. It could be. Um, any particular standing that where we are can compared to our, uh, you know, our, our respectful, um, you know, we could say competitors. Uh, competitors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I believe that all things are measured differently by those who want to excel and succeed. 
Uh, but for being where we're at in the Northwest Allegheny market, we're currently the fifth highest company, considering all the David and Goliath jokes we've heard a little bit about of uh, how mm-hmm. can you start your own brand today? There's so many big names. There's so many other people. Well, there's 200 and 254, 257 offices in the MLS. In our area, we're number five. So pretty happy about that. Even surrounding areas, we're climbing the charts. Overall, out of those 272, I think we're number 19 currently. It's amazing. Yeah, 257, I think it is. Yeah, we're number 19. So I'm pretty happy. But you're always that. so nonplussed about everything, though. So you, yeah. you take everything in stride. That's it's right. Because, I mean, most of us would be like, <laughs> <laughs> we can do that for you, right? That's that's right. Because <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, I, and you know this, everybody wants number one. I understand that. I'm just striving to be number one in our numbers. That's why I say it doesn't matter. You know, all the famous competitors, again, you mm-hmm. know, I love to quote people. It's like, Absolutely. Just measure what you were at yesterday. Compared to where I was at yesterday, compared to where all mm-hmm. of our team was at yesterday, everybody's doing much better and growing. So to me, that's the most important thing. I was going to get to this later, but let's just continue. Yeah. Talk a little bit about culture because mm. I won't get into the um, – my, my personal uh, I, I won't go deep on my personal opinion because it's your show but it's a tremendously positive and different kind of brokerage culture that we are in how we interact with each other um, the levels of communication and I worked at some good offices mm-hmm. but it, this is just something beyond and you created this you told me you created this in, a, in an idea that you had to take from what you loved and to not include what you didn't love correct you think you've done it yeah i think so um somebody once told me success can be determined by the amount of turnover that you have in a business and fortunately you know knock on wood we haven't had any yet i know that will happen that's just realistic in business but the idea was formulated from previous work experience that i have had and listening to people who are more intelligent than me. So I have a lot of people to listen to. Uh, <laughs> one of the gentlemen who it's, I, th- I still think it's the most Ted, our most watched Ted talk of all time, Sean Aker. It's called, uh, pers- it's like the movie Pursuit of Happiness, but it mm-hmm. just talks about controlling the attitude and how instead of a- shooting for average, we should ha- figure out how to increase the average so that everybody has a better mindset. Um, mentors of mine have talked to me about camaraderie and why things work and understanding why they were doing these things such as like having events was it really just because they liked a party or was there a theme behind it or Mm -hmm. is there a reason why this person sat next to this person or was it just the next desk available is there a reason why we have multiple floors in our building instead of just taking over one floor Mm -hmm. there absolutely is sometimes you need space to breathe sometimes you need alone time uh there's a reason why the conference room is in the front of the building. Well, we have three of them, but the main one is in the front of the building. It's not just because I these blinds <laughs> <laughs> log jammer. Uh, it, there, there is theory behind all of it. Like you said, each little piece was put into it of why it happened because of previous situations of where, whether it be privacy or whatever it is, if somebody needs to walk into the office and they don't feel like seeing 30 people, they can walk right into our office through one of the side stairwells, through mm-hmm. one of the back of the building, whatever, get work done and get in and out and not feel like they're trapped. It's, it's supposed to be a comfort zone. It's not supposed to be feel like I'm contained, I'm at work. It's, hey, I'm at work. This isn't so bad. And to go off on that kind of of the camaraderie, you know, there is a reason why we have pinball machines, arcade machines, mm-hmm. pool machine, uh, bubble hockey, air hockey, boxing, movie theater. Like there's a reason we have all of those things because of the reason that 
you know how it is when you have 12 hours worth of work to do but you have like a 45 minute gap in between mm-hmm. if you drive home you just have to turn around and come straight back That's exactly right so if you're able to stay at the office but feel like you went home or release your mind, you're gonna perform better for your clients too. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna be frustrated and tired, you're gonna be rejuvenated. There's going to be moments where that needs to be created. Mm-hmm. The ultimate where it all came from though is, again, you're gonna hear a lot about Disney tonight with all the questions you're asking. So when Disney- We haven't got to the Disney part yet. <laughs> <laughs> but when he when he did a movie, you know, he, he wasn't the most loved employer. Uh, it's funny, because they say they didn't love working for him, but they loved him. So, I mean, that, that's a hard thing to understand. But mm-hmm. so he would have 50 writers all come up with an idea for a movie. They would post it on the wall. And he would say, we're going to sit here till there's only one left. But I don't want to hear one negative thought about any of these movies because everybody worked really hard on them. So they would talk about the plots of each movie and take them down one at a time until only one remained. They all had to agree on. They were pulling the movie ideas off the board without any negativity without any negativity so imagine having to dis- dismiss something mm-hmm. but not talk bad about it and I just thought about that in, in our world and our nature where it's always about oh well, you did this number you did this number mm-hmm. um, don't you, why are you promoting other people with how big our ocean is I mean there's 7,500 realtors in the West Penn multi-list over 7,500 now that, that's the highest it's ever been uh, that was just released a couple months ago. 7,500. 7,500. So think about that. There's there's a and lot of realtors. southwestern Pennsylvania. That's where we are. Correct. We go all the way up to about uh, Newcastle, a little mm-hmm. above there, maybe to Conneaut's kind of where the breaking line is. East, it goes a good distance. West and south, it goes to the state borders. But 7,500 people, that, that's an amazing number for how many it is. Everybody's so concerned about what number they're at, where they're at. Hmm. Somebody else in my office. I can't let them pass me. I believe in healthy competition. Uh, but the more you support somebody, the more you can build somebody up, the further all of your numbers are going to rise. So back to the Sean Aker theory mixed with that mm-hmm. is instead of me getting two people to the top 10 and saying, I have two of the best agents in the whole West Penn multi-list that work for me. I can say, I have 42 or whatever we have right now of the best agents working for me. Mm-hmm. We all lift each other up. We work with right. an idea that we're supporting each other. We're trying to get everybody to the next level. I don't see, and again, I'm not going to speak badly about anybody, but I don't see other companies supporting each other in the same manner that we do mm-hmm. uh, with, with being competition in each other. We all share each other's listings. We all boast each other's successes. We congratulate each other. There, there's no a question. true camaraderie between the agents because of that environment, understanding that uh, we can either compete and some of us will survive and some of us will die and or we can all thrive together. So that's kind of where the idea and the mental attitude behind the positivity comes from is the Disney and other stories and the taking sure. things from the previous companies I've worked at. And I can speak from entering this business. You were the person who brought me in this realtor as a middle-aged person looking for the next thing. And, you know, it, it, being a new agent is intimidating. doesn't matter where you are. Mm-hmm. But having, I didn't, and I didn't have this environment. We had something that you ran yeah. under corporate confinement, which was, was still very positive. Yeah. But there was an underlying element of, of competition there, and it can be intimidating to a younger agents. And this probably goes with any, any field. Correct. So and and it wasn't our genesis. We, di- we didn't originate that. It, it was started from... Sure. It was already established. When, sure. when you get to start from the beginning, let's be honest, it's mm-hmm. a little bit easier to mold when it hasn't been created 
where if you try and alter something that's already in place, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. Understood. But yeah, it, it was, a, I still feel a very positive office out of there, but there were certain things no that question. were already molded, no if you will. Yeah, and, and it was a different uh, organization, too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so there's so much to go over with. I've been waiting for this for so long. <laughs> Let's Fire take it all the way back to your childhood. Because oh, yeah. Do you want me to lay down? Do you have a couch? No. Well, John the cop, I'm probably not the best therapist, although they say talking is therapy, Michael. <laughs> I'll take another drink uh, for this yeah, one. Well, hey, you're in control of the booze of this. This is the first show I've had out of 50. By the way, friends, this is the EMP podcast number 50 with Michael Collins. Number 50. And Half with, a century. I will say publicly, you were a supporter of the idea. You didn't look at me like I was too crazy. And I said, hey, when I get to show 50, will you do it? And you go, if you get to show 50, I will for sure do it and i'm impressed with how quickly you got here too with all the Thank big you. names you've had on the show it's Thank been really you. cool yeah, to follow the journey well we're gonna add your name to that tonight for sure minuscule compared to the others but i'm appreciative well, to be here glad <laughs> i'm glad to have you here um thank you and we're drinking bacardi tonight this is, uh, yeah. he's act- so it's the first time i've relinquished the alcohol dispensing <laughs> to the guest <laughs> this could get ugly he's drinking slow <laughs> that's all i'm saying this could get ugly so you're a Montour boy, but before we even go there, let's take mm-hmm. it all the way back to, and I don't want to get into the to how Cowden Creek the name. We're going to get that later. Okay. But take it all the way back. Yeah. All the way back. Well, I was born a baby. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming you weren't hatched, although nothing would surprise me with you. <laughs> I was born at Kennywood. I was a log jammer. No. And immediately taken right to Disney World. No, my family's from a, a small country town uh, in western Pennsylvania called Cherry Valley. My mom and dad both grew up there. Grandparents still reside there. Uh, I have two grandmothers that are still living. And uh, the whole family's mostly still out there, except for my parents moved away and a couple aunts and uncles and such like that. So all started there. Family didn't have a lot of money growing up. Uh, Always had plenty of love, plenty Mm -hmm. of butt whoopings too. Um, (laughs) No shortage on either. Uh, Lived on somebody's farm and... Did that for quite some time as well, where we worked on the farm as well. I didn't work as hard as maybe my brother did or the other family members, but that was an enjoyable time. <laughs> Grandfather had a garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't work too much there. My brother did most of the work there. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It's good to know. I, I wasn't the... <laughs> I mean, I can change a tire and change some oil. Doesn't mean I want to. <laughs> my brother can pretty much fix anything on a car. I don't know if he still can, but he could at that point in time. He learned a lot from him in that manner. Okay. Uh, oh, father had so many jobs going through the childhood. I, so many things from when you were younger that everybody tells you or you remember or that they remember. I, I can't relate in the same nature. Okay. Before 10... I remember things through pictures. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah I, I don't remember. Sense. You know how people would Wait say, oh. put a couple more years on, pal. It'll be even worse. <laughs> Trust me. Well, they tell me, I remember when I was five. I'm like, I don't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> like, I have a general idea, but the detail that they tell these stories in. Like, I, you know, I could tell you about Christmas morning, certain mornings, or, or certain major events in my life. Uh, but, yeah, life life was different than it is now. Very humble beginnings. Uh Parents were separated. Mother, uh, definitely a uh, big influence growing up just mm-hmm. on seeing what was capable. And, you know, p- people are still fighting over equality today. And my mother worked at the same company for 37 years and grew her way to uh, director of marketing and advertising, like a vice president position with GlaxoSmithKline. And 
straight and streamlined and steady. So it was very interesting to see that happen growing sure. up as a kid. Got to encounter many cool things, MTV Music Awards, Olympics, things like that, like really cool things. And then the other side was my dad. I get my dream side from my dad, but I also give him credit too as to where if it wasn't a combination to both, uh, wouldn't be where I'm at today because I need both. I need the, I need the willingness to work day mm-hmm. in and day out, which my dad had also. But I also need that dream ability to say, don't be afraid to swing the bat. You know, a little Babe Ruth there for you. Never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. It's a very reoccurring theme, I can assure you. He's repeated <laughs> that many times in the years I've known the lad. <laughs> uh, what do you remember most about childhood? And you say you can't give me finite details. If you talk about your happiest times, you're, I know you were a soccer enthusiast, right? I loved soccer. I wasn't always very good at it. I was faster than most of the kids, but I just... The skill set was never there for me, but okay. I, uh, I did pretty well there. And then I stopped playing in high school because it wasn't the cool thing and didn't get back into it till years later, you know, and okay. I regret that all the time. Okay. Uh, family, all, all good bowlers. Um, we, we bowled our whole lives. My grandmother's actually in the Washington County Bowling Hall of Fame. Yeah. My brother's bowled uh, multiple 300s. Like, I wow. mean, there's, I have a state championship for bowling. So you grew up with it then? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, that's something that's definitely in our blood. <laughs> That I'm proud to admit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the time on the farm, anything stand out to you? Uh, butt whoopings. <laughs> I could tell you. <laughs> I could tell you sometimes. What? Where, what did you oh, do? Oh, man. Well, one day, <laughs> I won't say the magazine that my uncle was letting my brother and cousin look at, <laughs> but I wasn't allowed to look at it because I was too young. Mind you, my cousin was two months older than me. And he said, it's your turn to watch the cows, make sure they don't get out. Not a real entertaining job, you know? Well, he came over to the window and said, Mike, that cow's taking my damn turn on the swing. And I said, well, you should have let me look at the magazine. (laughs) (laughs) I caught a butt whooping for that. Oh, my. I was a bad kid in school. (laughs) And I could tell you about the butt whooping I got the one time when I didn't even know what it meant. See, these stories I remember vividly because they were told to me over and over again. Not because I remember the moments, but I was in... Oh, Mrs. Amadon, that would have been second grade. I had Mrs. Hutter in first grade. That's Sec- a pretty good memory. Yeah, yeah. I could probably name all the teachers. I had a lot of talks with them. <laughs> Mrs. Amadon uh, sent me to the principal's office and called a meeting with my parents because I was belching. <laughs> I didn't know what that word meant. <laughs> so back then, they still paddled kids in school. My principal was Mr. Valicente, who I'm actually still friends with. He's a... He's, uh, I believe he's part owner of Bactronics, but I know he, he works with them. So the mold detection and cleaning okay. out company, a little plug for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a paddle from him. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not what the paddle was for, I don't think. It was a different time. But uh, that one was, we're sitting in the principal's office with Mr. Valsani, and my mom and dad are there. And she said he was belching in class. And I said, I beg to differ. A little smart ass I was. Well, Michael, your teacher says you were belching in class. Can you explain to me why you think you weren't? And I said, I just don't know. I don't I don't remember belching in class. My dad looks at me and goes, do you know what belching means? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> he goes, did you burp in class? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> they all busted out laughing, but <laughs> I caught a whooping for that. <laughs> Started a food fight. Uh, this was probably fourth grade. So you were a little hoodlum. Oh, I was bad. I was. My brother was a good, 
good student, good good kid growing up. I got in a lot of fights, uh, not necessarily like bad fights. They were silly ones, you know. Yeah. Um, but even as a kid, I I, I told the. Uh, it's funny because it's it's weird how much the world comes back around to you. Certainly, where our current headquarters are for Cowden Creek, there's a hair salon next to it, and that girl's mother is the lunch lady who I told to f off uh, after a food fight. Of course, right? <laughs> of course, that's going to come around the hunt. That's definitely going to come around. The oh, hunch. and she, but even even like it's weird how it worked out. Like I tried to tell her, she didn't realize the impact she made on my life because she didn't give up on me after that. Right. And that's one of those things from when you're a kid and so many people leave your life because you were a bad kid or you weren't. Right. You didn't want they didn't want their kids associated with you who stuck with you to make you like feel like you just got, can't do that. You got to get this right. Stop stop belching, stop swearing at people. Stop swinging at people. Yeah, yeah. Now, so. now you talk about swinging at people. Did you box for a while? I did box for a little bit, yeah. I did my homework. Yeah, yeah. Craig Woofley uh who now is, I believe he's a I don't know if he's just for the Steelers or if it's DVE, but he announces the Steeler games with Tunch Ilkin. He has a very uh, awesome podcast as well with, yeah. with Tunch, I believe. Yeah, he does. Him and his wife, uh, Faith Woofley, owned a gym uh, called MASC, Martial Arts and Sports Complex, on Station Street in Bridgeville. Mm-hmm. And I fought out of there. Uh, a couple Golden Gloves fights. Pretty proud of that. Um, great trainers. A uh, couple of guys that fought there who who went on to be professional boxers. Uh, Rob Strauss and Mike Strauss, brothers Mike Strauss, uh, was a beast, a little lightweight and everything, but packed a mean punch. Huh? Yeah, I mean, when I was getting in the ring, I was fighting at a true middleweight at that time. I think they've adjusted the weight, but it was one sixty-five. Mike was maybe at one forty-seven. You didn't want to fight him though; he, he was a little scrapper. Like take you down. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because he was so fast. I mean, <laughs> you, you weren't messing with him. Now Robbie was a light heavyweight, so there's nothing in between. But yeah, I actually sparred. My sparring partner was Tunchulkin's son. Oh yeah, during the fights, he's. Oh, he's got to be 32, 33 now. Because you figure we were like six years apart, five, six years apart. But that kid was a monster when he was 12. So. <laughs> when did you quit fighting? Was there was something that happened that made yes, you quit? Yes, there was. My mother thought I was crazy. <laughs> of course, there's a mother's story involved somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. It's boxing. <laughs> and I said she's the logical one. You know. By the way, I'm ready for a refill if you're you know, just, oh, I'm just yeah. going to toss it over. I've been talking so much. At your convenience, sir. Oh, yeah. Let me get that We can keep now. talking, though. Um, There's a mother story about quitting <laughs> boxing, I'm sure. Here. I gotta, I, I'm one of those people who can only focus on one thing at a time. That's because we're male. <laughs> That's what I've been told anyways. I'll make it way too strong for you if not. That way I won't be coming back for, for another one. <laughs> All right. Uh, so when I started it, my mother just made me promise one thing. And she said, promise that, you know, if you ever lose, you'll quit. And I said, that's a pretty... Well, no. If you ever lose a match, you'll quit completely. Correct. And I promised that. That was kind of... Why'd you do that? Well, I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into all my crazy stuff that Let's I've go. done in my life. Well, but... that's why we're here. That's why we're... This is called <laughs> long-form conversation. <laughs> so, long version... Short version of a very long story. Uh, beginning to end, skipping a lot of details in the middle. Bad kid growing up, mm-hmm. had a lot of help, a lot of people. And I wasn't like the awful kids. I wasn't into like drugs or anything. I didn't even touch my first sip of alcohol until I was 24 years old and lost that fight. It was the first time I ever drank. Uh, but I hung what out. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Went downhill from there. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was 
I was hanging out with kids that didn't have the greatest reputation, did whatever, and I was getting suspended from school for being a smartass, mouthing off to teachers, a couple fights here and there. And again, it wasn't anything big. I wasn't like the kids that were going fighting like 20 other kids or like the gangsters that self-proclaimed, you know, yeah. gangsters in the school or whatever. Yeah. Uh, normally it was over girls or something of that nature. Or I, uh, oh, I'll tell you that famous quote later about in school where I threatened a substitute teacher. Remind me to tell you that. <laughs> but uh, right out of high school, t- two years out of high school, I, my brother and I weren't getting along real well. And I had three, four best friends, uh, Gino, Darren, Jared, and Ben. And we were inseparable. Like we slept at each other's houses all the time. And just, we were like brothers. There was like a bondhood Mm -hmm. that was built between us. And life changed a lot that year. I was 20, 21 years old. And my best friend's little brother passed away in a car accident on Mm -hmm. a way to a basketball game. It was his senior night. And I wasn't as close with him personally, but being so close to his brother, it had a big impact on me. And I, I just remember running over to my, uh, I went over to my brother's house who, like I said, him and I really weren't talking at that time and just threw my arms around him, started bawling. And he's like, what the hell happened? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I said, he's dead. And he's like, who's dead? I said, Ben's little brother died in a car accident tonight. Mm-hmm. And he just put his arms around me. He goes, well, I'm not. I'm okay. Mm. You know, and it may, it comforted me in a strange way. Sure. But at that moment, uh, I, do I want to say a credit to a lot of the things I've done in my life to that moment? I, I don't know. I, I might. Uh, there's been so many factors that have, have brought it to there. But that moment was like a key turning point to me. Like, what if it was me? I'm the little brother. Mm-hmm. What have I not accomplished in my life this far? That like if if I could talk to somebody, I, I don't know how things work when we pass away, but if somebody came up to me and said, did you live your life to the fullest? Well, I was a bad son for a lot of time. I gave my parents shit over homework and be, being well behaved. Uh, I didn't really try hard at school. I was rude to most teachers, parents, didn't visit my family members, didn't do all these things and just thought, is this, is this how you really want to be remembered? Selfish. Selfish. Very selfish. And changed my life. Created a bucket list actually thought about goals, things I wanted to accomplish. As a young person? Uh, I think we have those moments in life to mm-hmm. do it, and I hate to say I, I was fortunate enough to have my moment when I was younger because of what it cost another family for me to realize mm-hmm. uh, what can be taken away from you so quickly. And it just the random, was... The randomness of life. Correct. Fragility uh, of life. Absolutely. In an instant. Uh, and that's when... The famous bucket list I always talk about was created, about what do you want to do? And uh, now you'll mostly hear me say, obviously, there's things I want to see. You know, I'd love to see my son grow up, get married, have kids, do whatever he wants to do. I want to be there, be a part of it, Uh, be with my wife, Mm -hmm. maybe have more kids, you know, God willing, um, and see what goes on from there. But if if for some reason I did die today, Mm -hmm. I can tell you for the past 20 years of my life, that would be that I've lived every day to the fullest. Like, you know, people always make a joke with me and say like, oh, you need more sleep, you need to do this. And I always joke and say, you know, sleep is for the rich and the dead. And that's not my line. Mm -hmm. And they might make comments about me regarding the money aspect of it. And I say, you don't know everything you think you know. (laughs) But uh, that's what led to these crazy things like the log jam or like the, we don't have to. Let's talk about for a second. Let's (laughs) deviate, because I saw a video clip of you riding a bull. I rode a bull. That was the like last two, crazy three weeks ago. Thing. That was two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. I saw I saw one that was an average fall, <laughs> and I saw one 
the second ride mm-hmm. that had the most horrific headfirst fall. <laughs> we call can, that a scorpion. If I can find that in the clip, I'm going to share it on <laughs> this podcast. Add the picture in, yeah. <laughs> Add the picture into that. I'll give a little plug for that. That's a bucket. That's let a bucket let thing, our right? buck bull riding school, too, down out of, about two hours outside of Richmond, Virginia. Well, that was what is really, it again? Let our buck. Uh, the guy's name was J.W., and his wife was there as well. She trains horses. Of course his name was J.W. had to be. Right. He was a professional bull rider for like 15 years. I said, how could you do this more than 15 times? <laughs> 15 years. You're crazy. But, uh, yeah, oh, man, if I went over the list, skydiving, hang gliding, cliff diving, jetpacks, NASCAR racing, bull riding, skydiving again, did it a second time, uh, plane gliding over the Red Rock Mountains, like so there's been a lot of crazy physical crazy stunts Mm -hmm. but some of them were like you know travel the world sure which have done go to certain places Mm -hmm. uh experience certain things like the next one i'd really like to accomplish that i know my wife would like to also is uh see the northern lights so things like that are on there talking about living to the fullest extent and if you Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people talk about when people come up to me well how'd you start your company how'd you do this what's that i said i just knew that it wasn't an option not to I don't walk into a room and not this is going to sound very arrogant but it's not meant to be I don't see anybody in that room that can do something that I can't I might have to work three times as hard to accomplish it but unless we're talking about like a physical attribute like I'm not I'm 5'7 I'm not going to dunk a basketball but when I walk into a room, if there's you may a try like hell, oh, <laughs> and if that was the competition, you better believe you're gonna have to try hard to beat me, <laughs> whoever it is, my competitor. Uh, but it, if I see somebody in there, like I said, I'm, I'm, I don't think there's anything special or accomplishing all these life goals or, or, or making even the list of doing it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just appreciating life through that situation I went through, and I understand that if I wanted to be a business owner and control my own schedule and, and a lifestyle that I wanted to obtain to be able to do these things. Because let's be honest, traveling, doing these things, going to nice restaurants, whatever, it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, back then I was in the mentality growing up without a lot of money, I always thought like, oh, those weren't my cards or those people had something dealt differently to them. Mm-hmm. And understanding that, hey, life could be over tomorrow, that changes your outlooks on things a lot. Like, absolutely, why would I not go for it? If this is what I'm passionate about, why would I not try it? Why would I not try and accomplish these things? So, uh, so, so back to when that that event occurred. Yeah, the round, that's the same time, roughly speaking, that your mother said, "Okay, you can fight, but as soon as you lose, you promise me you're done." Correct. The same time. Well, and, uh, here's the funny thing: my dad was the only one who knew when I started. Okay. So I'd probably been fighting for about a year. Okay. And obviously, you know, the physique's not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, I started to become very developed. We'll, we'll yeah, say the body of a fighter. That's right. And my mother got concerned and said, what are you doing? You Are you eating okay? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm just running, you know, five, ten miles a day and working out for three hours a day in a boxing gym. Yeah. And she's like, you're doing what? Do you know how many of those guys? Sorry, mom, for the bad imitation. You know I how many of those guys can't? That. You know how many of those guys can't think anymore, can't walk? I said, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's going to be me. You know how many of them are super successful and millionaires and going through this? Mind you, I'm working two, three jobs at the time as well. But, um, What were those jobs? That was was kind of where I wanted to go with this. Oh, yeah. Because out of school, out of high school, you didn't go directly to college, right? I did not go to college until 31, correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what did you do? Do you want to start with the first job? I absolutely do. Oh, God. One of our associates is going to laugh when I tell this story. So at 13 years old, 
I worked at a nursery with my brother and my father. 13. Yeah, that's right. It's under the table and illegal. <laughs> uh, I was pulling weeds at a nursery out of pots. So you know how they sell you the trees that are lined up and down with all the sprinklers above them? Yeah. Three of us, just when the place would close, we'd do that. Christmas time rolled around. We sold Christmas trees. You know, we worked in the different parts there. Had had to make money, had to make ends meet, do whatever we had to do. Then I did that for, I did that for two years. Then I worked at Taco Bell KFC where I was a, like, taco cook. Yeah, and that was when they originally opened. And why did I go there, you asked? <laughs> it was the highest paying place for somebody of my... You, you needed a worker's permit to work right. at 15. I think you still do. I don't know. Right. I believe so. And I think it was paying 475 and minimum wage was like 325 or 470 or 425 So it was higher than whatever it was. And I was like, this is the place. No uh, matter what I have to do. <laughs> no matter what I have to do. Then a legendary place uh, that was known very well in Robinson Township here in our area was called Duke of Bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I converted to the Duke... Oh, then I went to work at Best Buy <laughs> twice. <laughs> uh, I left Best Buy to become a loan officer at a mortgage company. Okay. And enjoyed that lifestyle, but it was mostly daytime. There was nothing going on in the evening. Like I said, I was a very hungry person at that time and didn't want to waste time and knew to accomplish these things I wanted to do. I'd need money. So I delivered pizzas at Pizza Hut. Wow. You moonlighted. Yeah. And I also worked for a company that... Uh, was a sign company. Now I only did that as needed in the summertime. I did that almost every day because it was from like 6 AM, which I slept in the ride to wherever we were going that day until like 3 PM. Then I could go do mortgages. And then on the weekends I delivered pizzas. So it was a very busy schedule to say the least, but for the sign company, I actually, I always loved telling this because it was fun. The guy I worked for, I'm actually the godfather of his grandson, really good guy. Learned some life lessons from him too. Um, but we changed out the light bulbs and the ballast in all 88 Eaton Parks at that point in time. So if there was a guy on a, you know, 80 foot high sign along the highway filled with spiders for a guy who's terrified of spiders. How about heights? Heights don't bother me, obviously, with all the other crazy crap. But yeah, that's heights don't bother no, me I at think all. it did bother you. Knowing you, you would still do it anyway. Oh, the money? <laughs> they, they paid me really well. I think, mind you, this would have been 1999, and I was probably making... Oh, twenty dollars an hour as an eighteen year old. So plus life. the other two jobs. No, not at all. And, and I mean all the the other gentleman drove who was like my mentor at the job, who was, you know, my friend's uh dad, and he drove there. He just said, Go change the light bulbs, go change the ballast, come back down, we drive home. We'd drive to state college, do one sign, come back, wherever they needed us at that day. If they didn't need anything, we'd go wash them. Okay. Because it was a part of our contract. Okay. So good money for not exactly a whole lot of mental thinking. <laughs> I could focus on the other job mentally. That's some long drives. Long drives, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then it transitioned from there to going back to Best Buy, left Pizza Hut, went back to Best Buy, and became a computer senior supervisor, whatever they call it, after just being there for a short period of time, again, due to money reasons. Uh, left the mortgage world, went into a work for an appraiser and, uh, worked for a contractor. So I had three jobs again, all different, only returning to one of them. Okay. Best buy partly for the discount. Uh, <laughs> you worked at best buy. For the discount. <laughs> so you were, you were, you're definitely an electronics junkie. Uh, oh, big time. Yeah. I love sure. my toys. Yeah. Uh, and I liked it, it. It was probably my first real avenue of sales 
where the other things I had to talk to people and, and make sales sometimes to explain to them what was going on, but I was purely just providing facts. At Best Buy, I got to actually communicate with people. And it was really cool because the first time I was there, you're based off a of commission. When I went back, you weren't. It was just based off of helping somebody out and you were getting the same amount of money whether you did or not. And I saw so many people sitting around like, I'll tell this story about the Duke of Bubbles real quick. Sure. Everybody will laugh at the amount of money that I say, but so it was my first year working at the Duke of Bubbles and a lady by the name of Helen uh, and her husband were the owner, Nick, and it was Christmas time. So they gave out Christmas bonuses. They probably had... 10, 15 high school students working for them. Okay. Some were a little bit older uh, who'd started their careers there in high school. And for every year you work there, you got $5. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, drink that in for a second. For every year you work there, you got a $5 bonus for Christmas. Whoa. Merry it? Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't afford this bottle. Well, my first Christmas there, she gave me $20 and she said, do you mind if I make an example out of you and not understanding how much people could hate you for being an example at that time? I said, absolutely. Go ahead. Well, she pulled everybody in said, Merry Christmas. And I want to point something out. Michael was awarded a bigger bonus. She didn't clarify amount or anything of that nature. Just to emphasize the point she said, but if you all worked like Michael did, everybody would have obtained a higher bonus. And she said, when people come in, he smiles politely, gets into their car, washes their windows. So when he gets out, he shakes their hand, says, thank you. He just doesn't hop in and out. He doesn't mumble under his breath. He asks them politely. He tries to upsell. He brings them air fresheners, like carries them out of the store inside. Because that was one where you got out of your car. Right. And the employees I'm drove it through. It. You might have washed my car. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the tips weren't that great. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, and so, like, you know, trying to upsell whatever it might be. And secretly, I enjoyed it, even though everybody else wasn't too thrilled with me after that. I caught a kiss ass, other things like that. But it showed me that you could be rewarded. There are mm -hmm. things within your control, not only if it's your own company, whatever else. It's just right. same thing with Best Buy, asking the guy, how much do you get paid? Oh, when you get started, you get, you know, 825. I was like, okay, this is pretty good because six years ago, I was making 475, you know, or maybe I was making 575, 475 minimum wage. Either way. And I was like, what does it take to make, you know, $18 an hour? He's like, you have to be a supervisor, senior, whatever the position was called. And I was like, how long does that take? Normally two to three years. I was like, okay, if I'm not there in two months, I have to leave. And he's like, well, you'd really have to show us that you know what you're doing, know what you're right. talking about. Right. That's when you, you know, instead of just walking past something sitting on the ground, when you notice it out of place, you pick it up. Whenever you see a shopping cart, don't wait for the end of the night when they call a code blue or whatever it was. You get your butt out there and you just make it happen. If you're not doing anything, pick up the dust rag, even though it's not your job, a cleaning crew came in at night. If you knew something needed to be done and things were slow, you got it done. And if there are two customers standing there and they're both working at that person, you still interjected just to say, hey, if there's anything that I can do for you while you're busy, you offered support to your teammates. And things like that happen to tie all that back together yeah, as to yeah. what the three jobs really came to. Mm -hmm. So then... It's a life lesson. It's a big life oh, lesson. Oh, yeah. When the success comes with it, oh. it's a reaffirmation, right? Yeah. Well, the reward. I mean, I mean, we can all pretend like we're not working for a reward, but the one of the quotes that I say all the time is, you know, it, it's not mine again, but it's, uh, I don't live to work. I work so that I can live. Mm -hmm. I mean... That has no bearing on the amount of hours that are put in. Or even the ultimate money. Correct. It, it's with the attitude that 
when I'm with my family or when I'm doing something with my friends or the people I surround myself with, I'm enjoying life. I, I don't just We're sit down. Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't just sit down and just watch TV or just mm-hmm. do this. I, I mean, I, I try and have experiences and create them differently. So bringing all that full circle back to the job counts, it went from, so at that last point we left off, I was a senior at Best Buy. I was doing the appraisals and I was also working for a contractor, uh, Bob Trapezano, mm-hmm. flipping houses, fixing them up, doing whatever. And that lasted for a couple years. And then uh, by unforeseen circumstances to me, I was forced, if you will, to leave the appraisal industry mm-hmm. uh, and still really like that industry, but wanted to do something where again, I had more control where somebody else wasn't dictating my paycheck and had paid attention to different lifestyles and who enjoyed their life or who did it seem, whether it be real or not. Uh, my father was a real estate agent in the early nineties and my stepmother was as well, uh, working for Howard Hanna real estate, Remax, Century 21. Oh, my dad worked for like three or four companies. Okay. He was all over it. I think, uh, Don only worked for Howard. He Hanna. was a hopper though. Oh, he was a hopper. He, he, he wanted to, you know, that's why I say the dreamer was alive inside of him, but sometimes a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. But again, if I didn't have that in me, I wouldn't be where we're at today. That's right. Uh, so I called my dad and I said, Hey, oh, and I, <laughs> because of that, I needed to find more money while I was transitioning since the appraisal was no longer there. I picked up a job at Lowe's okay, <laughs> and thought if I'm going to stick with this real estate industry in some way, shape or form, since I was in loans, I was in appraisals, I better find another avenue. So I'm in construction. Why not leave Best Buy and get a job at Lowe's where I can potentially make more money? So I sold, I worked in a department called Millwork, which is doors, windows, trim, mm-hmm. things of that nature, and really got a good education on pricing things out and understanding what they would be and mm-hmm. a lot of discounts there too. I bet. So. I should have known you then. <laughs> <laughs> would have helped. Yeah. Uh, so at that point, I, you know, was at Lowe's uh, long days, but still taking my courses. I went to courses in person, which crazy story. I, I, I clearly have ADHD. I did not know but you worked at Lowe's. I did not know that. I worked at Lowe's. And I was taking my real estate classes uh, with Northwood Realty. So let's go to that part first. Yeah. Called my dad and said, I want to get into real estate. Uh, where do you think I should go? What do you think I should do? And I still give this lady uh, probably the majority of the credit next to Helen Hanna, who I'd give the next and most amount of credit for, for my success in real estate. And her name would be Marianne Gibson. And she recently retired as the GM of Northwood Realty. Uh, once their Northwoods acquisition of the local Berkshire uh, company took place, that was she stayed on for I think six to eight months or something like mm-hmm. that, and then stepped down from the general manager position. But my dad said she's the person you have to work for. So went right to it, and just like I believe now, it's it's more the person you work for and who's going to teach you what you need to do and and so on like that. Uh, and went and worked for Northwood Realty under Marianne. Like I said, it doesn't take much. You give me a little bit of direction. It might take me longer, but I'll do it over and over until it's right. Right. And she gave me tips that I still use to this day, even little things. Like when she first told me my first deal was with one of my best friends, one of those five gentlemen I had mentioned earlier at the younger age, where him and his uh, 
fiance or girlfriend were having a rough time. Mm -hmm. She pulled me in a separate room and said, Michael, you're not going to like this, but you're not allowed to have an opinion. She said, and this is great life advice for you. She goes, I've been in this business for 30 some years and I've seen a lot of people come and go, but you know what I've noticed about most relationships? They're going to tell you how bad this person is, how they made them feel, their life's over because of them. And then a year later, they're back together. It doesn't matter what they said. They only remember what you said. So when they sit there and say, oh, well, she treated me like this. And you're like, I never liked her. I always thought she was awful. I always thought that person was. A... She said, you support your friend when they need support, but you keep your mouth shut because you never know what's going to come back around. Well, because of that advice, I was the best man and spoke at his wedding a year later as they got back together and got married. It's extremely <laughs> and good advice. Three kids. Oh, it was great advice. And I, I mean... Again, that, that falls right into business and every other relationship. Every aspect of it. It's, you don't know how it's going to turn back around. There's sometimes when your opinion is wanted, and there's other times where even if it is wanted, you just bite your tongue, you know? One of my friends in the business got divorced, and he came to me, and he said, well, you're the third person I called, and, you know, I called my mom, I called my brother, and I just, I just wanted to talk to you for some advice because I always rely on you. I think you give really good advice. He's like, I'm going through a divorce. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. What's the next step? He goes, you're the first person that said, what's the next step? Of course. He said, everybody else talked about, let's go blow up her car. Let's slash her tires. <laughs> let's beat up the new guy, whatever it is. And I said, well, I, that's you, the norm. I said, you've loved that girl for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. Just because things are going on right now, I'm sure yeah. your feelings haven't changed. You obviously loved her for a reason. I don't, I'm not saying it's ever going to work back out or not, but at the same time, I'm just here for you. I'm not here to fix your relationship. It's not what I'm here for. So that advice has stuck with me for a long time. And worked with the best uh, under her, and then she was going to a higher level position. At Northwood. At Northwood right. at the time. And no complaints, uh, loved her to death. But again, it was about people. And then one of my mentors at the time was a gentleman I called Uncle Peter. He wasn't really my uncle, but called him Uncle Peter, very successful businessman, still very successful. Uh, carry his wisdom uh around with me all the time and, and use it almost every day for the things that he taught me. But he said to me, he said, well, who would you consider working for now that you wouldn't be under Marianne? And I said, well, the problem is I direct one-on-one -on -one time with her. It's not that these other people aren't great managers or good companies because uh, most of them are. It's not her. It's not her. He said, well, who do you think would be equivalent? I said, but I always like to meet that haughty Hannah, you know, he's like, well, that's strange. I said, oh Yeah. He goes, because I was just talking to him today. And I said, okay. He goes, we're going to Duquesne Club on Thursday to have lunch with him. His treat. I said, okay. What does this guy <laughs> want to talk to me for? <laughs> Get in the car with my uncle. We're driving down to Duquesne Club. And again, he's not my real uncle. But uh, get in the car with him. We're driving down. And he said, so did you prepare questions? Do you have talking points? What are you going to bring up? Are you ready for what he's about to say? I mean, he really mentally prepared me for a lot of things. And I said, no. <laughs> he goes, well, how do you grow your business so quickly being in the journey for two years? I said, by listening to the person who's done it for the past 35 years successfully. He said, okay, that's a good answer, but you need to have something else. So I said, well, I'm really good at for sale by owners because it's a hot market for uh sellers right now and I can call and convert them very easily and he goes I don't know how that's going to work out but I want you to tell the truth to him so when he asks you where your business comes from just make sure you're honest 
walking through cane club, hottie stands up, comes over, shakes my hand. Like I said, there's not too many people that I walk into a room for. And I, I think I can't do what that guy does at that point in time. I knew I wasn't capable of doing what that guy did at that point in time. Mm -hmm. I knew there was a lot of knowledge in that mind that needed to be obtained or respected, if you will, before I could say, I could do what this guy does. This wasn't going to be a no one or two year adventure. This was going to be that this guy's got it going on, you know? And, uh, he, he said to me, so tell me a little bit about yourself. I checked your numbers. Um, where's your business come from? First question, right out the bat. I said, well, most of it currently comes from for sale by owners. And he goes, I love it. How silly are these people putting a sign in the yard, literally saying, come work for me. He said, they couldn't make it any easier. And yet so many people don't recognize it. He goes, and you have the courage to call them. He said, most people were afraid of failing, failing, and that's why they fail. He said, I love to hear that you call him. He said, how many times do you call him? And I said, as many times as it takes to get the listing <laughs> and fell in love right there. I mean, I did at least, you know, and he said, why don't you come meet with a couple of my managers? He goes, he gave me good advice right then and there. He said, you're going to think I'm crazy because I've only known you for a half an hour now, but I see management on you. Him and Helen still fight over who had credit for <laughs> doing that. So Hottie would have been the original. Helen's the one that made it happen. But, uh, and he said, well, why don't you go talk to these two offices? He said, I'm just going to give you a bit of advice. Don't ever work in an office that I could see you managing at one day. Don't. Don't. He said, because that's not how we place people, because then there's going to be politics, people right. like this. A very fair, right. very understanding company. They want people to be comfortable in their work environment. That's some of the good that I took away from there. Mm -hmm. So I went to a new construction office at Howard Hanna. Mind you, I'm still working at Lowe's and I'm still doing construction. Uh, so you're, now, you're a, you're a part-time agent. Part-time agent. Well, 40 hours, but part-time. Yeah. part-timers, right? <laughs> <laughs> and this is 2008 at this point in time. Uh, November and I went interviewed at a green tree office the west suburban office for that company and also what was called the new construction office which was in Nevillewood mm -hmm. and <laughs> it's a funny answer he liked it he said so what did you like the most about each office I said they were all great all, all good managers all good people I mean I could tell you the people I sat down with and, and how good they were Chris Olds at green tree uh, was that her name? Yeah, I think that's her name. Uh, Arlene Lunds, who was at West Suburban, and Darlene Hunter, who was at New Construction. And he said, well, where do you want to go? I said, I'd like to start at the New Construction office. He goes, really? He goes, that's not where I would have paid you for. And he said, so why are you choosing it? I said, well, I'm very competitive and I like to be number one. Being that I'm new to your company, this office only has seven people. <laughs> I can become number one and market the hell out of that a lot quicker than I can anywhere else. It's a very honest answer. Very honest. And he just cracked up and he kind of smiled and he said, what if I told you that office was merging in a couple of years? I said, well, it gives me a couple of years to become number one. And I did. And became the top producer, merged with the Green Tree office, which was then known as the, uh, I think it's called the Collier office now, but at that time it was not. It was called the Southwest office or something it had a different name but okay anyway that that's what led to there and at that point in time so now we're two years more into it that's when i let go of uh the lowe's job things started to turn pretty good working out well in real estate you know putting in these 80 hour weeks so mm -hmm. on uh and then from there 
remained top producer uh, of the uh, one of the top producers of The Office. There's a young lady by the name of Lou Ryan who does a great job in real estate, and mm-hmm. I think she's still actually a top producer there, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it Trem- might be Jen Krause. Tremendous but, agent. Yeah, great agent. Easy to work with. You never have to worry about the deal uh, mm-hmm. on the other side. I've done some deals with her. Yeah, a little promotion for her. Um, uh, but she was the one who, you know, even though it'd be quick and witty sometimes with her, you'd learn a lesson there too. If she told you something, there was a reason behind it and there was thought and logic. So it was always, always good to work around or under her. But then it would have been 2012, 2013, actually. Uh, I got a phone call. Mind you, this is the guy I showed up at the, at the office and tank tops, shorts, cargo shorts, flip-flops. <laughs> I do have flip-flops on right now, by the way, even though it's 30 degrees outside. Uh, I got a phone call from Helen Hanna, who, again, had become my mentor over this time period. And, right. Uh, it's it's funny when you have a company of that that size, the attention that all the owners there, all the whole family actually pays attention to. It's, it's, it's a warm respect you really can't find everywhere. Um, where, you know, at that time, I think they had... So it would have been 2013, so five, 6,000 agents. Now they're over 11,000. But five, 6,000 agents, and you can call the owner of the company. It's incredible. And talk about personal stuff, life going on, whatever it might be. And she was a true mentor to me in every step of the way. But my phone rang in reverse this time from her and said, are you at the office? Of course I wasn't. <laughs> what do you think my answer was? Yes. Yes. I, I am. <laughs> actually am. Okay, great. I'll be there in an hour. So I considered where I was at and said, you got about 20 minutes to get showered and get ready, put on a suit and tie because uh, a person of that nature, although she would never say it, it demands respect. You, you respect that person. When they walk in the room, you, you do that and get to the office, suit and tie. My manager that was currently there, you know, I'm not going to say names or anything like that, but this is where you find ins and outs of the business, you know, and are you sure? Do you know why they're coming down? I have no idea. Well, they must have known in the background, they're like, if it's about management, I just want to tell you, it's not everything it's cracked up to be. <laughs> but they're losing their top producer. Sure. They're losing somebody sure. who makes them money. Absolutely. And It's like, it's like self-survival. Correct. Where, uh, we'll talk about that later, but like mm-hmm. how, how, how I want everybody to thrive and survive. Right. I'd rather be proud and say that person came through my tutelage rather than that person Absolutely. never made it anywhere because they were under my tutelage. Absolutely. Helen shows up and says to me would you like to consider would you like to be considered what was really uh, let's just tell it like it was how would you like the west suburban management job just came right out came out right out and said it do you know the people there how what do they like you because i can't put you in a place where you're not respected i said i don't i think everybody does i've had a few deals with a few of the workers there okay well there's a few people applying for it you have to apply for it but you know, you have my vote. And I was like, oh, okay, great. So hmm. I think it was like six days later, I was announced as the manager of the West Suburban office for Howard Hanna mm-hmm. at Neville Wood. It was a very nice event they put on and did that. And there was press releases. I found press those. releases. Yeah, yeah. That was very nice. It was very nice. Oh, they, they, like I said, they took care of their people. Um, and maintain that position until Groundhog's Day of 2018. And that's when uh, the dream started to truly become alive mm-hmm. in the creek. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little work history for you. 
Uh, talk have. a little bit about the Hannah years in regards to what what you you know to pick a couple uh, takeaways that you had from mm. learning from managing people. Um, doesn't have to be positive, to be negative, whatever. Yeah. Start, whatever you can take away Ooh. from there, that is probably a lot. I'm sure. Yeah, so many. But, but what stands out in your mind, negative or positive? Mm-hmm. Well. As you move toward your business. One of the biggest things that I would say is encouragement. Uh, there, there's something that I'm quoted on for today that, again, I know came from all of them mm-hmm. and, and different jobs, but I always say I want to be everybody's first follower. I don't think a leader is somebody, you know, how you see all the memes or pictures of the guy standing behind him whipping or it's a guy in the front pulling him or anything like that. I think it's being a cheerleader, supporter, mm-hmm. the first follower of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was either Hobie Hanna or Duffy Hanna showed this video one time. And it was a guy dancing out in the field. Actually, it was like one of their leadership management uh, courses that they had. And there was a guy standing out in the field. And they stopped it and said, does everybody here think he's a leader or follower? Or do you just think he's a drunk idiot? Like that was the real topic. Because <laughs> it was like at a music festival. Was he by himself out He was there by dancing? himself, okay. alone. Okay. And then, you know, they stopped the tape and asked that question, and nobody really answered. Everybody remained quiet, and I'm sitting there thinking, like joking around, like, well, I don't have enough information yet, you know? I'd like to see what happens here. And before anybody answered, they continued to play the video, and then these two beautiful women came up and started dancing next to him. And then a swarm of like 3,000 people Mm-hmm. ran out to this guy that was just dancing crazy like and started dancing like him and they said so when he was out there by himself he wasn't a leader because he didn't have any followers mm-hmm. but then he was only as strong as his first follower okay they said if another crazy person would have ran out there maybe nobody else did but there was so much strength in that first follower being these beautiful women at a concert that everybody else wanted to be around them got it what a great analogy they taught us. So if you can be everybody's first follower, you can change their lives. You can make other people follow them. So people coming to me, the agent is that person dancing out in the field and I'm their first follower. I want to make everybody love that person, make them able to be able to understand them and see the passion that they thrive and drive. And that came to me from <coughs> the Hannahs. Again, whether it was directly from one of them or I think it was a manager training, like I said, I don't really remember. But, but that was one of the, the biggest key takeaways I've ever had there. Um, another great thing I've learned is, <coughs> I, I mention this book all the time, whether it be in training, management, uh, speaking at local schools like I do and stuff, uh, is I always mention the book David and Goliath. And that was given to us uh, from one of the managers. That might have been Helen. Uh, I can't remember. Um, but it talked about overcoming odds and understanding what you're capable of, mm-hmm. yeah. which maybe worked out for me a little bit better than expected. No question. <laughs> but, but, no doubt. But, but the idea behind it, again, was strengthening those people for you, like being proud of where they're from and supporting right. them. Uh, and that book has been a great help. Um, the Chow Chows were amazing with you. Uh, I was part the of Children's those, Hospital. And I was part of this for three or four years. And I mean, you, you had a lot of pride in that. I did. To me, it was like planning a wedding every year, but you got an actual reward out of it. Just kidding. Huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not a bill. Yeah. <laughs> no. <Coffee> uh, <laughs> true. Uh, m- most of the 
when I went into the organization, I actually ran the ones just as an agent from my office alongside, normally with a partner or two. There was always two or three agents that headed up. Mm-hmm. And when I went into management, I thought to myself, well, now, what kind of leader am I if I'm just putting this on somebody's plate and doing this? So we had a chow chow event for the first time under my reign. Which explain a little bit what that is. So a chow chow is a, <coughs> it started, Hottie uh, Hannah told the story best, so uh, I apologize if any of the Hannah family's listening and hearing this, but it was Hottie who would always tell it best. I think it was Kathy Wainwright was her name, Wainwright, Kathy Wayne. I'm going to say her last name wrong, but Kathy said, you know, why don't we go from each office to office making dishes and everybody pitches in and pays for them and you get to eat dinner so for x amount donation you got a dinner each night of the week and you know there's 10 offices at that point in time so it wasn't that big of a deal you ran from office to office to office but the money went to a local charity children's hospital whatever it might be uh and now it's platformed into what it is where you have individual offices rating forty thousand dollars in one night or throughout the year for this cause grand totals normally equaling a million dollars annually in donations uh but most people don't realize what that did to, um, it wasn't just, I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there's always a great benefit in charity, but it also showed me that you didn't have to separate everything in your life. You could bring certain things together and connect them together. So whether it be your family getting involved with this, something that you're so passionate about and care about it. And Hottie had said, don't ever be embarrassed uh, if you're truly helping somebody and being passionate to promote yourself and doing it, because these people are going to use somebody to buy houses. They're going to use somebody to do this. Don't be embarrassed by that because not everybody's taking the time to dedicate and make the kind of money for these organizations to help these sick children. I mean, the whole healing garden, healing garden at UPMC is because of Howard Hanna, like mm-hmm. the funds they raised paid for that. And that, that's an amazing place. I don't know if you've ever been down mm-hmm. there. But I have been. It, it, it's astonishing what they've accomplished there. And so when I became a manager, I said, instead of just me taking this, or I mean, instead of just the agents taking, I'm going to show them how important this is to me. And we were one of the top three offices the first year we did it. And then the following year, I think we were like number two. And then the third year we were number one. Uh, And I got called back down to the Duquesne club because they have some of their board meetings there. And this was their charity foundation board, which I believe Annie Engel was heading up at that time, Helen's daughter. And... Uh, she said, we'd like you to prepare, you know, a slideshow or business plan of how you're procuring this. And I explained, you know, I walk into a room and there's all these executives staring at me and I did a presentation, talked about, you know, well, coming from humble beginnings, I learned that you had to incorporate things that would benefit all aspects of it. So I thought we sell houses. How can we get people like this to be encouraged to help children's hospital? Everybody wants to help a charity, but yet, you know, there's a movie called airplane, which I'm sure, you know, when the guy walked into the airport, there were 50 different charity organizations, religions coming up to you, trying to get money. What would make your stand out and how can you raise money on it on behalf of that? And how do you raise more money? Where, where does your platform start? Do you have to pull money out of your own pocket? Right. And Hottie always said, you shouldn't have to pull money out of your pocket to make this happen. You know, you, you should just let people know how serious of a donation this right. is. Right, what, right. Explain to them what it's accomplishing, what we're getting done with this. And so what I'd done is structured these yard sales and, and different things since we sell real estate. Well, we always have people that want to get rid of furniture. Well, we work with storage unit companies. Let's have some storage units dropped off and they can come fill them up with furniture. So we're helping our one business partner 
the storage unit company. We're helping our clients get rid of furniture that they didn't want. And then we're donating it to the local community for any amount. We set no prices to anything. And we would tell them, this is all going to Children's Hospital. We're going to pay for our hotel. We're going to pay for the food. We're going to do all this out of the proceeds of this event so that we can hold a much bigger event and make all kinds of money out of it for Children's Hospital. So, you know, the synergy, synergy all across the board. And then those people who are there want to come to the of event, course. you know, and we would have people and you feel good because you're helping the community, you're helping that business partner and you're helping your clients. I mean, that that's where Hottie had the right idea of you. You can do this by helping everybody and don't be embarrassed to like, you know, say that you're doing this for not just that, for this too, for this too, for, for multiple different uh, avenues. So, you know, we'd make $10,000 at a yard sale. Take that $10,000, turn it into $25,000, $35,000 in two weeks with one event. Right. Uh, but helping all of those others along the way with the ultimate goal being helping Children's Hospital. But you helped three or four other different groups, if you will. Mm-hmm. I remember a family that walked up and they had just moved here. We sold them their house at Howard Hanna. That's how they had heard about the event was on a social media post. And... He he came to me and said, like, well, I don't understand how much everything is. And you could tell they were foreign. And he said, I said, it doesn't cost anything. I said, if you need it, take it. But any donations we're going to give to Children's Hospital. And he said, I can't do that. He said, there's no way I could take that. He goes, because I can't afford everything that I want. I said, I'll tell you what. We're done here at 4 p.m. You come back at 4 p.m. Everything that's left. We have two trucks here. We'll help you take it to your house. We'll do whatever. Don't worry about a dollar. He came back with like $60 and he told me what he had to do to get that $60. He's like, I called my, my work associate and borrowed the money off of him. That's a horrible accent, but I borrowed the money off of him. So on and so on. And, and he's like, then I called my neighbor and said, could I borrow $20? And I said, I gave him back his $60. And I said, you don't understand. This is, this is an event for the community as well. He left with like three or four bedroom sets. So his Mm -hmm. kids would all have their own dressers Mm now. Uh, How powerful is that? Oh, it was huge. And you want to talk about a feel-good moment? When we walked inside, we talked about raising the money for Children's Hospital. We all talked about the impact we made on the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... This it, is an ancillary benefit. Oh, absolutely. Of the, of the whole program. Across the board. No question about it. I mean, it's just... If you want to talk about the nights where you sleep really well, those are nights that you sleep really well without an issue at all. You only, you only wish on how can I improve and how, how can I do more to continue to grow this. That's the only thing with that. So yeah, I know you, and we'll talk about it a little later. You're very much into motivational. We always talk about books we've read. Mm-hmm. But th- what you just explained to me is a great example of probably one of the most powerful personal development statements I've ever heard in my life. And I don't know if it was Jim Rohn or Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. But the statement was, and I, I know you know this, if I pronounce it correctly in this statement, it says you help enough people get what they want and what they need and you will have everything. It was Zig Ziglar. Is that correct? It's Zig Ziglar. And he says, or something, you can that? have everything you want in life. If you help people get what they want they in want. life. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And it's, I mean, same, it's same so, exact thing. It's so true. It, it's amazing how you think about that, that though. Oh my gosh. Where people think to get what you want, you have to take it, you know? You look back at the empires of the world, and uh, I don't know if you've ever watched like the men who built America or mm-hmm. the food that built America. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who took things. There's a lot more people who were just as successful, if not more, who didn't, who just helped others achieve it. You know, it's crazy how it works. 
you hear about those seven stories versus the thousands. <laughs> I remember coming. I'll, I'll share this. I was, came to work uh, for Howard Hanna. Uh, we I met through the Hanna family. I, we, you and I mm-hmm. connected. We sat down for about a half an hour. Then we met for a lunch. Mm-hmm. But what was amazing to me was everything that I had spent because I had really, as I've said on other podcasts, we're talking about podcasts that have motivation, all self development is a big thing with me. I've read so much, but to find another person who not only has read that, but has taken the best of what they've read and applied it. That's mm-hmm. so powerful. And I remember saying to me, I don't know a damn thing about real estate, mm-hmm. but this guy has got that part of my uh, figured <laughs> out. So maybe I didn't spend and waste all these years reading this material because here's a guy very successful that's applied it mm-hmm. as I had done in prior businesses. But man, it's would you not agree? I mean, it really oh, is about service. It is, 100%. And putting others above yourself and others needs mike i had a, a conversation with rocco causa mm-hmm. who wrote this wrote this book right here a great one the alpha way self-development mm-hmm. book one of the examples him and i bounced back and forth on his podcast and you haven't seen it yet because i haven't re- released it yet mm-hmm. we talked about the mls sheet in real estate friends what that means is you go to the multi-list as an agent you print out the specs on a property and at the very bottom corner it will tell the agent what the broker, his or her broker, will receive in commission. I have never looked at that. And I know you find it funny, but mm-hmm. I, 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 it's irrelevant to me. If a yeah. client wants to see seven properties, it's which one they really dig. Correct. And, and at the end, whatever it ends up being that our brokerage gets and what my ultimate commission is, it's kind of like, I know it'll be there, mm-hmm. but I want to see them smiling. Let's get to the finish line. That's right. You know there's an amount there. There's an amount there. It doesn't matter if it's and I want to be two and a half or a, ten. Absolutely. Yeah. But getting them happy and satisfied and happy campers mm-hmm. and Eric McKenna fans. Yeah. Yeah. The money will follow. It comes. And it always you has. You get the support. And it's such a it's such a lesson to teach anyone in sales for that matter, whether it's real estate or anything else. But as, as, as a manager, mm-hmm. it's not always the easiest thing to explain. It's not. No. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, oh. <laughs> Sorry to bring it up, but no, that's, no, it's, no. To it's, me, it's powerful. It, it is. It's. Should it matter what you're worth? I mean, y- yes. There, there's there's a chef at McDonald's who's not getting paid as the same as the chef at Hyde Park, right? Mm-hmm. However, they knew the job they applied for. So when I look at that MLS sheet, you're never supposed to be dictating over what the commission is. But there's also nothing wrong with looking at your client and asking them to cover it if need be, mm-hmm. or to ask that seller to raise their commission. Very rarely does that ever happen. But understanding your value, I think, is important to a person. Because, it, you know, one of the analogies I use all the time, and I know somebody else is using it in all their motivational speaking right now, which drives me nuts because I use it in mine. <laughs> Both of us shouldn't be saying the same thing. But, but it has to do every time you get on an airplane, one of the first things they talk to you about is when an oxygen mask falls. They tell you to put yours on and secure it first before helping out others. Mm-hmm. When it comes to living this word and being financially stable, people talk about, oh, well, I sold for this commission. I did for this commission. Then when it comes down to it and the deal falls apart at the end, they didn't realize if they would have charged full commission, maybe they could have kept that deal together. So it really wasn't about the money, but I saved that deal because... I was able to forfeit some of mine mm-hmm. to make this work. It was realistic standards. It was under-promising and over-deliver. So understanding value is a part of that. But when it's set and you're showing as a buyer's agent, it has to be irrelevant. I mean, 
one legally it does absolutely but but two you're, you're just being made aware of what it is but it shouldn't matter because great advice from a mentor my one i've been very blessed to have a few mentors or and or as my dad would tell you smart enough to listen is you should be in business for two reasons one is to make money you can't only be in it to make money but you have to be in it to make money two is to help people if you're only in it to help people you'll go broke if you're only in it to make money you'll go broke so you have to have both of those features so there are some times when you know the cookie crumbles differently than you thought it would uh people don't realize what's going on in your life and what you might need at that point in time mm-hmm. but uh it, it's funny how it works out when you do the right thing and mm-hmm. support it in the nature that it is you said I'm not a McDonald's chef, though, just to clarify. Correct. <laughs> no, nothing <laughs> against that. Love me a Big Mac. But... Although they've come a long way in McDonald's, yeah. by the way, recently. Well, the pay yeah. isn't... Yeah. Did, I don't know did the they pay. get that $15 I don't bump? know about the pay. I'm just saying the whole presentation seems <laughs> to be I'm pretty sure they different. put it into the roads of Pittsburgh. But... When, during our first conversation, you looked at me in the eye and you said, you really like making people happy, huh? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. I, I said, yeah, because it's always, it's always produced a great life. And he said, well... Then there's really nothing further to discuss. You're here. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, I mean, those are moments uh, for me that were so powerful because, again, you know, I, I think self-development, and, I, and we're living in the age, and we're going to talk about this in a second, mm-hmm. we're living in the age of social media. Oh, yeah. And I want to talk to you about your time at Hannah mm-hmm. because from the moment you became a manager, it really exploded. The social media exploded at oh, that huge. time. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a second. But we're living in an age right now of a look-at-me society. Mm-hmm. Um, we, if you didn't post it, it didn't happen. Right. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I don't live that way, but I'm, you know, unfortunately. The world does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you managed in that environment, watching that explosion, which mm-hmm. you had to try to harness, right? Because oh, there was yeah. a good marketing opportunities there. Huge, but an opportunity to fail but also. also. pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Hugely negative pitfalls there as Absolutely. well. So now as we sit in 2000, the end of 2019, let's really talk about that for a second. What was really where I felt I had a little bit of an advantage when I came to you, even though I was a little longer in the tooth than the rest of the crowd, mm-hmm. was that I had somewhat of an understanding of social media because I had worked a business in that environment or the web. Yeah, didn't mean there was instant success. And mm-hmm. I made my mistakes, but I got it. That was a way of really communicating to strangers and showing your brand, mm-hmm. right? From 2013-ish to now, what what has happened? Oh, man. A million different things in every industry, I would like to think. Um, I even just went and spoke to a marketing class at Montour High School last week about how understanding economics and demographics is so important in this day and age more than ever. And I was telling jokes, but a lot of them didn't get it. Not that I'm old, but... They definitely weren't. I said, well, how many of you know what Geritol is? And When would you advertise that? And I said, would you put that on Facebook? They're like, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> and I tried to explain to them that you might see it if you were sick at home one day and watching The Price is Right because they're targeting the older demographic, the experienced demographic, as Thank we say. Thank you. Thank you. Not you. <laughs> oh, I'm there, pal. <laughs> I might not look it, but I'm definitely there. Because <laughs> he uses the product he's selling The Price is Right. Uh-huh. Oh, God. No, and, and just the things that I think have changed in that time. And actually, one of the first books that you and I talked about was 
marketing in the age of or yeah marketing the age of google which was you know written over a decade ago yeah, now absolutely and then we shared a book called the art of social media the guy yeah, uh, guy, uh, Kawasaki, Kawasaki. I don't remember the last Kashiaki name. Kawasaki or something like that. Yeah, but but both excellent yep. books. And mm -hmm. one another one that I think we shared was Jeff Gittemeyer, The oh, Social yeah. Boom. Yeah, you turned me on to all of his stuff. Oh, his, I've got it The all Little now. Red Book of Sales, The Black Book of Connections, Green Book of He has Green one book now, How to Get Shit Done. That oh. just got released. He He's fantastic. It's on its way here. He, I mean, everything that that guy writes, I, I think he's one of the best motivational speakers as well. Um. But fantastic. But but witnessing the changes of. Well, and let's just talk. Let's let's jump to this because it will make more sense. Okay. Where are we at right now? You see these independent agents who think they're at such a higher level. Doing videos, if you're not doing video by now, you're going to be left behind in five years. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about you said in front that in 2014. I had to because it was already starting. Because when social media started and the ads and networking and posting that way, why well, meet everybody at my church group? Well, nobody from my church is using me anymore. Well, that's because there were 16 people that talked to them before they saw you. Mm -hmm. This is no longer the world of seven minutes. It's seven seconds now. Mm -hmm. You have seven seconds. If somebody has a thought pop into their mind, you have to capture it. Why is text such a great tool? Why, I mean, not even just a platform of social media, the platform of communication in general. I had somebody, we had a Halloween party for the company on Saturday night, was having a business conversation while we were there. They reached out to me on Facebook the next day. They didn't text me. They didn't, you know, send me a letter. They didn't even email me. Mm -hmm. they, they reached out on a social media platform. Mm -hmm. You know how we always teach people you're supposed to reach back out on the communication platform that they reach out to you on uh, because you know they're comfortable with Sometimes it. Sometimes it gets so them. muddy. That's right. Oh. <laughs> but with all the different platforms right now to think about the things that we've seen change, it's one thing to understand the new products that are coming out. It's another thing to get too in-depth in them if they don't work out. So I think you understand that in real estate that we have a new tool come out every three months. It's a major one. It's nationwide. Mm -hmm. Six months later, it's gone and replaced by something else. Mm -hmm. well, so, that can get frustrating for an agent. Oh, because you're dedicating so much time. You developed a platform that worked with that system. If it hung around for two years and you did it, mm -hmm. that's great. a long great. time. I was just at a Pittsburgh Business Times... Uh, luncheon like they do or this might have been a dinner one and it was the uh president of cmu and he you know their specialty is obviously ai and technology mm -hmm. and he was stating and i don't remember how he said it but it was something about that the technology that most people will work in I think they're just in high school now or something like that's how quickly the world is changing. So the jobs that we know of today will be eliminated. And and I'd heard this economic speech before from somebody else, but he, he reiterated it. It's from one of those like master classes. If you ever mm -hmm. take any of those apps, speaking of social media. Yeah, I've got a couple. <laughs> You'd be surprised what classes I'm taking. Though. I don't even want to say them here. <laughs> Steve Martin's teacher one. <laughs> uh, the comedy, how to write comedy. He's fantastic. What I think he it's teaches like how to play the banjo or but, something. Yeah, too. it's all over the board. It's so, all over the board. Learn how to cook too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this particular one talked about economics and who was it? Do you remember? I don't, I, I, I'll find out and I'll tell mm -hmm. you. Um, but he, he talked about economics and how people don't understand how the world is changing. They just assume something. So he talked about in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s that there might have been 40 farms around your area or outside of your city. Now there's only four. Mm -hmm. And, oh, we're not, we're not producing like we used to. The American farmer is dead. He said, no, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but like 
not turbines, but like the big machines, the big tractors, mm-hmm. uh, they produce more now and they run more efficiently. And instead of doing what they did in half an hour or eight hours before, they could do in a half an hour now. Right. So one farmer was able to eliminate 10 because they were able to produce the exact same amount. And if they beat out the other farmers, now these guys are selling off their land. They weren't forced to. Right. It's that it's a market condition. It's a market condition. That's correct. So they're, they're producing more corn, more whatever. And he talked about there's actually more farming done here than anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. And how people don't understand that because there's so fewer farms. It's just they're more efficient. Where before, think about it, they were also only working from sun up till sundown. Now there's a machine and they're processing everything throughout the middle of the night so that when they wake up, they're running 24 hours a day instead of 8 to 10. Right. And, and that's and, just one industry. That's just one industry. So if you think about it on real estate and a social media aspect, we have 7,500 agents. Why? It's quite the reverse because before it was harder to reach your communication. It was harder to get out to the general public because you had to have money. Mm-hmm. You had to have all the time in the world. Mailing costs. E- mailing costs. Billboards. Door knocking. The confidence to talk to somebody. <clears throat> that's been eliminated. I can text you. Right. I can send you a message through pictures. Right. I, you know, I can do whatever. So now I have an opportunity to be a top producer mm-hmm. without ever talking to you once. I could send you a text message. I could send you an email. I could send you a Facebook message. I could send you these things. At least that's what the public wants to believe. Some things, and I'll quote another real estate agent. As a 53-year-old guy, that makes me still uncomfortable. It has it's to. a different generation. You want to sit still. down face-to-face. That's when necessary. So let's, let's talk about one other thing Helen taught me since we're talking about social media. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think I said this, but she was the one who had the, the utmost support for it and, and really ran with it. But it was, what makes you think you're important enough to list a house in front of them, walk through the house, tell them what you think of it. But then when you get an offer on a house or an inspection... Now, we can't meet all of them, but they're not valuable enough to sit down in front of and go over it. It's a very good point. And, you know, it, it's like one of those sit back moments that you lost a face to face here. They were excited about it before you sat down with them. You explained the process. But now they got an offer on their house for two hundred seventy five thousand. And don't get me wrong. Most of the time, it's their choice not to sit down. They're too busy. They just want to know a number. They just want to go forward because we're conditioned to that world now. But if you wanted to show somebody it's important, it's like, you know, quitting your job by text message or, or mm-hmm. breaking a relationship mm-hmm. via, uh, you know, email mm-hmm. <laughs> that you sent to the whole office by accident. Mm-hmm. But whatever, mm-hmm. it, it's it, the social media aspect and the platform of communication has changed our industry so much and changed daily in that world that now, before when it came to finances, nobody wanted anything to know about it. There's even, an, I, I quote a lot of memes. There's a, there's a meme that talks about, you know, 1991, don't talk to strangers, don't get into strange people's cars. Now we literally summon strangers with an app on our phone to meet somebody we've never met before <laughs> to take us to places that we don't know. And uh-huh. it's, it's just funny. That is our norm now. That That is what we do. But with the real estate aspect of it, it social media, free marketing, free advertising, it didn't hurt us as far as that went. It made everybody grow. Well, I'm great behind it. In person, they might not be able to talk to you as well. Right. They might not understand everything that's going I've on. I've heard that from clients. I don't know if you've oh, experienced yeah. this yet. Where you, you, so you go for an interview. Let's say you're interviewing for a listing. Mm-hmm. You know, some some home sellers want to do that, and I, I, I welcome it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you hear. Oh, it what, is. Well, my perception of this agent, and they'll open up to you. They might be it, the biggest agent in the world, or the most knowledgeable. Or the best or the, promoter on Facebook. Or the most polished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing that, the, that the, the perception is not reality, which is the overall problem it's with social true. media. It always kind of has been, right? Think about when we teach somebody to write a profile. 
before people wrote a profile, and it was kind of funny because there's a, there's another famous guy who you used to have classes in that uh, all the Do you time. Remember? Oh, all yeah, the yeah. time. There's a gentleman that worked for Berkshire Hathaway in California uh, at that time called Prudential, and he wrote a book called uh, "Live the Good Life Work by Referral." Brian Buffini yeah, is Buffini. his name, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a motivational speaker now. I don't know if he has anything directly to do with sales or anything of that nature. He might own offices. I have no idea. But one of the things he talked about was, you know, this image and how people would tell you, oh, you could sit open houses, you could do these things, do whatever, promote it. Look at where we're at now with, (laughs) you might not even have sold a house, but you could have the best perception in the world. I've literally, as a manager, had people come up to me and say, hey, I saw so-and-so's working for you now. They're killing it. And this is, I was probably my second year in Atlanta. It was one of my friends growing up together. I said, they work really hard because <laughs> I didn't want to be deceitful. <laughs> but that person, that young man had not sold a house yet. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Well, and people don't understand it. Mm-hmm. They, they don't know the platform. Like before, if you knew somebody came to your door to sell something, you might slam the door and them. They hung up on your phone. You know, like... You answered the phone and said, hello. We talk about that a lot now today, too. If you see a number, people's eyes are like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. No one right answers now. the phone I, No. Leave me a message. Why didn't they text me? It's so weird they're calling me. It's just the way the social media and communication platform has forever changed it. We, we do this stuff. I mean, the emailing, when, we, when you only have a certain amount of time or else you need to get a clear message across that you want your client to be able to rehear and reiterate, you might send a video message stating... Here's what's going on with the situation. I know you were busy, but I wanted to get this over to you right away. The inspection report came back. Here's the things they went over. After you've had a time to review this a couple times, please give me a call back. And it's a video of you talking. It's fabulous. Could you imagine that in 1985? No. The industry would be nowhere near what it is. And it's it's still changing even more. Now, uh, oh, the financial platform that I was getting off on there. Like before, you weren't supposed to talk about money. You weren't supposed to. Now on an app, people are putting in all their credentials and getting an approval or getting a, mm-hmm. a final number within minutes of what it is. I don't know. Is it our lust for speed and immediacy, uh, short attention span, and then we're but we are sacrificing security and things that were private at one time are no longer private. We're willing to give everything away for an instant answer. That's what I was just gonna say. I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if anything has changed other than instant gratification. Instant gratification is what we are taught now. And when you don't have it, you assume that person's not good at their job. They could have something going on in their personal life. They could have anything going on. But if you don't get an answer from them, well, I saw them post something on social media. Yeah, that was their wedding. That's why he didn't answer you. He just got married. Well, how did he have time to answer something on Facebook, but not answer me? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a balance. It really he's, is. I, listen, he's I, in I, Europe right now, but he'll get back to you tomorrow. I'm I, covering for him. Yeah, <laughs> I struggle with it. Well, you and I have spoken. I to run my my, and I love social media. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I think it's, but but a lot of those who I went to school with, Mike, the people I see that you know went to, they're saying great as me. I, I see mm-hmm. on a regular basis, small town, right? No clue. Oh, they're yeah. just not. I saw, Don't even so, post. Don't even have an account. Pretty much. But yeah. but but because I use a service to schedule my posts out, mm-hmm. I may not be actually available when something gets reaches posed. out. You could be so here the, right now. So the illusion. There's one scheduled. Yeah, I apologize. Eleven thirty. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, yeah. yes, you have to be careful because the again, it's an illusion, mm-hmm. negative Correct. and positive. That's right. You know, it, it's mm-mm. yeah, and, and I I think it's fascinating because of you you have managed in the era to watch all this evolve oh from the very first one i mean which was myspace 
which nobody even knows what it is now. Sell guitars on MySpace. <laughs> yeah. To I mean, to Facebook only at that time, which I think was like 2004, maybe 2005, whatever it was, mm-hmm. was only available to Ivy League colleges. Mm-hmm. Then it spread to colleges, and then it just became mm-hmm. a public platform. Uh, and many others that that failed along the way that people tried splash and went away. Yeah, the Vine. Kind of oh, Vine lasted for it was the most popular thing for what a year, mm-hmm. and then it died off. Mm-hmm. And then Instagram, which is still pretty popular, then Snapchat came off. Oh, I feel like Snapchat's dying. TikTok, I think, is among I don't know the what that is. I mean, now I'm telling showing in my age. <laughs> I, I I think I kind of blur out after a while. And again, you depends know, on the demographic. It does, and you also. You know, in our discussions, you were very adamant when I first got in this business, but you find something that works and you ride that SOB as hard and as long as you can until either you fail and then you do something else or Or it does. It does. That's exactly right. right. As funny as this sounds, you know, like certain agent of ours laugh and say, why is there still a fax number on a contract? (laughs) Say, believe it or not, we have one. You have a fax machine there. We have one, (laughs) you know, out of the whole place, but we have one, uh, it just whatever we actually got an offer fax to us we've had two think about that since we started the company we've had two fax offers but that was very common absolutely it was very common and you waited for that received page and you you made sure everything went and through the, the and cover sheet yeah cover sheet <laughs> don't forget the cover sheet or else i won't know who it was from was i supposed to get 20 pages did you send that as well uh, uh but but just seeing how it changed is amazing and i will say this that facebook if you've paid attention to the marketing on it Think about what was on it five years ago. Every day was a different workout video, a different diet. Mm-hmm. All real estate agents saturate Facebook, but I think that's a good thing. Uh, and obviously, I'm going to see more because of the way the algorithm works mm-hmm. into what my interests are being Me real too. estate, which we'd like our customers to see more things versus our. I have to understand that back end. Once I got a good grasp yeah. of that back end, things change. How for that me. algorithm works, absolutely. <laughs> Because it's going to follow who you follow. Uh, and if you but follow you have to realtors, stay out with it because it does You change. have to know both. That's right. Uh, Instagram for, for the generation right below my age group. And then mm-hmm. it's just who who knows what will be next. But that's like where that CA, uh, CMU president was talking about. The, the jobs haven't even been developed yet in technology for the kids who are in high school right now. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be different by the time they get out of college. So if they're a freshman, sophomore in high school right now, by the time they graduate college, that technology has not even come out yet is what he's been saying. It's amazing to me. The, but the personal human interaction, why I love the business, and I think I can probably speak for you too based on our conversations, is that human interaction, the realness, mm-hmm. the satisfaction that you see? It's not. It's not. It's not words. I mean, that's that's reality. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced this throughout my life in different fields. I mean, you create a guitar and the guy's happy with it. You don't take that for granted. You absorb no, yeah. that, right? Absolutely. Same thing when you're at a closing table, like I was this morning. But I fear as technology gets more and more impersonal, the nature of technology mm-hmm. that 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 realness at some point, and I'm hoping that I'm out of the business by then. But goes it, away. it may go away. Mm-hmm. There, there's definitely a chance of it. I mean, think about it. We're selling houses through FaceTime now or videos walking through houses and people, you don't even get to meet them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we... I've had cur- one yeah, that way. Currently right now at the company, we have one that uh, it's a Brazilian gentleman who's not a U.S. citizen, but is still allowed to purchase a house. Amazing. It's called FERPTA, the Foreign Investment Trade yeah. Act, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's purchasing a house... Uh, Sight unseen. Sight unseen, you know. And, well, FaceTime walking through the property, 
uh, sent somebody over to look at the property that was here mm-hmm. in the States, a trusted advisor, and purchased the home in that manner. Now, I will say I had that happen years ago from the guy who owned IHOP or whatever from Arizona, sent his assistant here to look at a house. <laughs> Wasn't quite the, the, to this level, though, where it was like, you know, buying a home for their family that's going to move here from another country without ever seeing it. No, but, yeah, no human interaction whatsoever. Mm-mm. No idea of the area, no feel for it. Can't even drive around the neighborhood to see if it's somewhere that they want to be, yeah, or is in the area that they feel like is matches their personality or their families, if you right. will. Right, it, it's amazing. It's crazy how much it's changed. So, without giving up too much proprietary information, what's the uh, initial short-term vision for Cowden? What we what's what's ahead here? What's what's ahead for Cowden Creek? Oh, besides continual growth, which I know is his answer coming up. I think that I I would be like any father. You know, I, I want, I hope, which I know I have no control over whatsoever. Because we'll we will all disappoint you at some yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> that I can develop a platform for my son and whatever future children we might have to uh, have an opportunity that, um, along with the love and support that was provided for me, but in a financial and stable position, to not maybe go through some of the same stresses or disbeliefs of what is possible to create a platform for something like that uh, for him and, again, future children. I, For me personally, you know, and again, I've been quoted on this before, my goal is really to, I'd like to see in my lifetime, I'd like to open an office about every year, every other year. And the reason I want to do it now, some might not think that's slow, but I think it's slow. Like I could open one tomorrow, but I want to do it properly. Mm-hmm. I think that if you can't, teach the proper customer service and care and you know how people who are cooks say the last ingredient is love (laughs) (laughs) there is a true aspect of that if you can't take the time to mature the process for each office and make sure that it is run in a certain manner because so many people have had it's like a golf swing you know so many people have bad hitches in their swing and how can you correct that to make it go down the right path when you bring them into your platform and your setup and is that even possible? Sure, we could go up in five offices. Sure, we could buy, excuse me, a small company and take over their agents. But it's not going to be our platform then. It's mm-hmm. more important for me to be our platform where we can train on that level and get people to be doing the best they can for the consumer and client. So me... You prefer to grow organically. Exactly. If uh, we, you know, We've talked about recruiting before and, and different natures of that. I always laugh and tell people I don't recruit, but then obviously there's people I do talk to, mm-hmm. but I recruit by creating a lifestyle. I, I I don't recruit by saying, hey, you can make X amount of money. Hey, you can do this. I recruit by saying, hey, you can be happy. Mm-hmm. You can want to come to work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you how to make this job simple. It's not a simple job, but I'm going to make it simple. It's not, we're not rocket scientists. We're not performing heart surgery, you know? Uh, while I might feel it's as important as that, it's not what we're performing. Mm-hmm. We are handling people's emotions, people's financial responsibility. So to some, they might think it's more important than heart surgery. But Could be. Uh, I, I like the idea of, of a lifestyle where you, you would not see one ad of me saying we're hiring. There's not one out there. Mm. Are we hiring? If you're the right person, yes. If you're not, no. Um, you have to put people ahead of you at all times. 
you have to care about the actual transaction. You can't just focus on the paycheck. You have to treat it like it's your own, put yourself in reverse position. And, and how would you, you know, like that to work out and, and so on. You know, one of the things that my first house that I sold and this couple probably didn't know they were my first couple, but it's Jerry and Jessica uh, and their son, Shay and sold them a house. I'd started in the business in late November and uh, first month in the business I sold, a, a, I had a listing was my first deal and sold it. And they closed right before Christmas in their new house. And they sent me a picture of their son standing in front of their Christmas tree next to their fireplace and said, like, you made this possible. I can't tell you what I got paid, but I could tell you that moment, you know, was a life changer right there. And if there's not something that makes you more satisfied, go back to the Zig Ziglar comment. You mm-hmm. said, you think you know what you want until you help somebody else too. Then you realize what you really want out of life. That's exactly right. Like it, it's, and, uh, when that human interaction becomes worth more to you than the uh, money. And, and, and again, that might be a hard concept for new agents to grasp, you know, especially if you come in as a new agent and you need this paycheck to pay bills. Mm-hmm. And a lot of oh, new agents yeah. do that. It might be hard to grasp, oh, that's esoteric, you know, that their smiles yeah. are worth more than that yeah, paycheck. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the Somebody commented on one of my Facebook posts because I put, I was so happy to be able to work with this person and, and call them a friend now. And they said, you say that about all of your clients. Damn straight. I said, exactly. And that was my only response. And then the people said, well, we did become, like they stood up for me. <laughs> like we did become friends. They're actually at my Halloween party. <laughs> Damn straight. But, but it, it was like, that, that's because it's a real comment. Now, uh-huh. do we grow apart? Absolutely. They're, they're yeah. Just the way life goes. But I try and become, I try and develop a relationship with not only, you know, my clients, with the agents. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody mm-hmm. to have the lifestyle. Again. For me. So that's recruitment for me. Okay. For me, it's a, there's an element of humility that you need to have to do this job correctly. And I, I'm not saying we all have the humility. And I'm not saying humility about what we love, that what we know we're great at. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the interaction with them. And sometimes you eat a little stress of theirs. You ingest a little stress because you want to make the load lighter, the path easier, mm-hmm. because that's a reflection on what you're doing, even if the things you can't control. Absolutely. But that comes down to personal humility, I think. And, and it takes a certain kind of person mm-hmm. that understands that. I would agree with that. Would if you, you want to survive in the business, absolutely. And thrive. Yeah. Um, real estate market since 2000, I don't know, 15, 16, has been a little bit different than what it was in the late 2000s, obviously, with the economic crash and other things going on. And that's why I think we have, yeah, (laughs) that's why I think we have so many agents today, but there's always a joke going around, like, I can't wait till interest rates go up, not because it'll hurt the buyers, but because you'll see who the real agents are who actually care about their clients and put up with them and show them 75 houses instead of 10 because they have to put an offer in on it or it's going to be gone. Now, nobody really wants the interest rate to go up, but the point is, it's the agents who don't have that same passion, who don't survive and blame everybody else for success. When in reality it was, did you actually care? Mm-hmm. Did you develop that relationship or did you just turn and burn and dump them out? We're a referral ship is we're based off of referrals. We're supposed to be. Uh, you have to be. Cause I mean, do you, the train track one that I always talk about, like I'm not laying 300 different train tracks. Right. I'm laying 30, Right. And riding back and forth, back and forth, making sure I'm doing my job properly, getting better at it, refining it every time, becoming better at each one that I do. I'm not trying to just never see that person again. That train's going to come back around again. 
because of the it, service. Call it got. grind. That's in right. My, in my yeah. vernacular. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, oh, we know yeah. a couple of agents who do that. So oh, absolutely. I don't, we don't, I don't know how they do it. God I don't bless know them. why they do it. Yeah. And God bless <laughs> yeah. them. But yeah. it's not a path that, that logically you'd want to take. I mean, wouldn't you want somebody? To... There was a quote that I don't know why I ever had on my wall when I was a kid, but I had a quote that said, uh, I never want to give you reasons to to stay. I only want to give you reasons to return. Mm-hmm. And, and I it's mean, powerful. It, it's very powerful. It goes with every, you know, saying about like, oh, let somebody go and they'll come back. Mm-hmm. If you did a good job in this business, they will come back to you. They will refer people to you. You will get something in return for your efforts, not just a paycheck. It'll be, it'll be the, the most sincerest form Mm-hmm. of payback which is a referral mm-hmm. that somebody literally said this person was so great to work with they made my life easier they they got me through this process that was very stressful for me at the time and i'm going to repay them by sharing that information with others because i want them to have the same experience that i had have you ever thought about uh not that you don't have enough on your plate but have you ever thought about and it's a terrible slogan or uh, a name of a kind of speaker about motivational speaking I even hate that word <laughs> self-development speaking uh, achievement speaking I'd love to because uh, you've done that internally in this industry correct but to take the principles and maybe expand them a bit because it's definitely applicable to different industries a hundred percent I think across the board it is being that my mentors are from across the board and who I've studied if you will through reading books and whatnot it, it all relates to the same as what I've noticed, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people are big believers of the secret or think and grow rich by mm-hmm. Napoleon Hill or uh, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie, Th- things like that. Like, but it is it is very true across every industry mm-hmm. of you know, if you want to be rewarded, you have to put in the work, you have to do this, but you also have to believe it's possible. You also have to, you know, the law of attraction. What I could do you go think off a million about? books? Yeah, Absolutely exactly. Right. Like when you wake up in the morning, do you hate your job? Mm-hmm. What's that? Uh, the one motivational speaker now. He's he's huge on podcasts and uh, Gary. Gary V. Gary V. I don't know how to say his last name. I can't. I don't think he. can That's why either. he goes That's by Gary V. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, but he's so real though. He's gut wrenchingly real. He and it might even hurt him, but he doesn't want to do anything but tell the truth to you, which is what I love about mm-hmm. some of his talks. And no, I'd love to do motivational speaking and internally I've got to do it. I've got to do it at some schools. Like I've said, even to some sports teams I've been called to come speak to. And it seems to always relate very well. Uh, I spoke to a football team, uh, two of them, uh, actually this past season and uh, made them realize how much they have to rely on each other. And I said, if you're in the workforce, I said, how many of you had school projects where you were the only one out of the three or four people that did any work? I said, well, since that wasn't as important to you, now do it on the field. Imagine if the quarterback didn't feel like doing his job and you're the wide receiver. Mm-hmm. How's that make you look? I said, be selfish for a second. So now let's reverse it, though. What if the quarterback's doing his job and you aren't? He showed up to practice four days before the game. You haven't shown up at all not this holding week. holding your end. You're not holding your end up. So that team project changed its aspect a little bit now, didn't it? Mm-hmm. You're looking at it a little bit differently, how you're letting each other down. I said, now you came to work for me. Mm-hmm. But you didn't realize I came to all your football games your whole high school year. Saw you not showing up, asked the coach what happened. You walked in and applied for a job in my space. And the first question I asked you is, are you a team player? And I already know the answer. You're not getting the job. I explained to them how that can be related to life, what's going on, and how mm-hmm. there is life after football and so on. I think mm-hmm. they won like 45 to nothing that night. Am I taking credit for it? you damn right. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we close this chapter down, because... Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Rocco and I spoke 
couple podcasts ago on this because he's out doing that as a, and, and having a great time. A couple of TED talks he did, mm-hmm. but he we talk about the frustration. There's there's movies such as The Secret, mm-hmm. Thinking Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, phenomenal book to read, especially when you're young in life. Now Napoleon's a little weird, oh, but, extremely. But the content of what he's saying, it's what you concentrate on, where your mind is yeah, at. Dude, have you ever read The Alchemist? Absolutely right. So The Alchemist, you know, and, and Will Smith does this speech better than anybody else. And if nobody has seen that, YouTube that or Google it. It's a very small book. It is. It's an easy read. Paul Corolio. Correct. Yeah. I can't say his name either. He's a new one, by the way, too. He's a great, great author. Uh, Amazing read. Mm -hmm. And, but he talks about creating your universe. Correct. But creating it is not just thinking about it. It's taking the action. And Will Smith's conversation, once he talks about this book is, he said, you know, I will die on a treadmill. If somebody would challenge him to that, he said only two things are going to happen. Either one, you're getting off first or he's going to die. And he explains, you know, that's the world he created. Mm -hmm. And then one other interview when he was on a talk show, he talked about one brick at a time. And I use this analogy all the time and give him credit for it. He said, most of the world's problem is they just start the wish process. Then they don't follow through with the actions of it. He said, because what they see is the whole wall right here. He goes, and I only see the next brick. Because if I focus on that one brick, I'm going to lay that brick better than any brick I've ever laid. Mm-hmm. And then when I do the next brick, mm-hmm. I'm going to lay that brick better than any brick I've ever laid. So I'm a little bit better than the one before. He said, before you know it, you'll have a wall. But what you didn't realize was it was your actions of improving each time that gave you that wall. You didn't start with right. the wall. You right. can't just wish for a wall and it's going to happen. Right. You had to have the action and motivation to lay each brick a little bit better. And then you'll see your goal. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, there, there's no better way to explain it than that brick wall scenario because yeah. there's so many bricks that go into one wall. Exactly They're right. a little tiny brick. Same thing with every career. There's a little tiny brick you got to do. You got to learn this. You got to mm-hmm. do this. You got to mm-hmm. dedicate the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, last week when that's a good analogy. Um, you know, pick. I, I went to speak at the school at seven o'clock in the morning. I left the office that night at three thirty. Surprised you got up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Tuesday I started at seven a.m. I left the office at three forty-five. One of our agents was with me. I went to the office at nine o'clock. I slept in a little bit more. Wednesday night, I left the office at like one forty-five. Thursday, same kind of day. Like it wasn't a 20 hour day. It was like an 18 hour day, mm-hmm. 16 hour day. Mm-hmm. But then it, it's funny to me when people talk about like, oh, you're crazy. You can't work that hard. You're going to need sleep. You're going to need this. But then they'll turn around and say, boy, I wish I had everything you have. You don't understand it. Your life's so easy. Look at everything you got going for you. How'd your business succeed so much in a year and a few months, whatever it's been? Mm-hmm. All those times that you, you know, uh, I can't think of who the speaker is right now, but 168. 168 hours in every week, baby. If you sleep five nights, five hours a night, that's 35 hours. You still got 133. You, are you familiar with David Goggins? I'm not. Oh my gosh, I can't believe. Speaker that. or writer? I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn your world upside down. <laughs> I can finally, I can finally suggest a book to you that you haven't have. David Goggins is a, uh, military guy, special forces. Uh, was a was a as he would put it, a pretty sad sack when he was young, okay. overweight, lazy a little bit. When, and all of a sudden, a light bulb went off. This is the guy that just ran. Did you hear about the guy that ran a 200-mile race in Arizona uh-huh. and then ended up going like 30 miles the wrong way and backtracked and still finished <laughs> and still the finished race? still finished it? No. Yeah. David Goggins has a book. It's, it, the book title is, it's brand new. You'll love this. Michael, this is up your alley. And for anyone out here listening, you got to at least investigate the guy. 
follow him on Facebook, follow him on Instagram, David Goggins. The book is You Can't Hurt Me. You Can't Hurt Me. I like the title already. He is a super athlete. Okay. And it's uh, to the point of um, obsessiveness probably. But it's all really about life. It's just it's taken off for him because he does not accept excuses, and he will put himself beyond anything he ever could remotely ask anyone else to do, and then triple it. David Goggins, I'm I love so it. surprised. I stumped you tonight. This is amazing. Yeah, I've never heard. I'm of bringing him. the book to the office tomorrow. <laughs> I will read it tomorrow. <laughs> David Goggins, yeah, yeah. You that, that kind of uh, now that's obsessive, and that's you know. But his whole thing is that you're you know I, you're willing to make excuses. I am not. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh. a, and it's a blunt old kick, uh, and, and it would be great for people who really need that kick in their ass once in a while. Anytime you know? somebody says no excuses, I want to read that book now and probably give it to my mother because of her. Like when people tell me their their hardships, what they overcome, I mean, I could show you the places where we grew up and like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my grandmother, uh, my one family, the Cowden family, like, you know, we had a TV that had the six buttons on it and only one of them worked because we had an antenna on the roof yeah. that you turned with a knob that worked 5% of the time. Uh, but where she came from and her mother died at a very young age uh, I don't remember the exact age she was two five years old something yeah. like that and then uh, before she before I was born her father had passed away of cancer and he did get remarried in, in that time period um, but the things that she overcame in her life and what she went through to get to the position she was in we're again talking about equal rights not in the same time yeah, period fighting absolutely. for equal pay everything yep. like that yep um, the, the things that she accomplished and did, uh, I'm excited to read this book. And I think she will too. Cause when people say to me like, Oh, you don't understand. I'm like, well, maybe my mother does. Let me tell you what she went through. You can't Let me tell me. you what she did. Yeah. There's an, she didn't allow any excuse to infiltrate her world or hurt her world in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And it really does come down on the sad stand, standpoint of the whole thing. Think about how much unused potential is out there. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing in my heart of hearts that the cure for cancer, the cure for diseases, uh, maybe the cure for global warming or the the cure for, for uh, renewable fuels, it's all out there. It's just that laziness mm-hmm. probably has stifled the humans that could actually accomplish this stuff. Would you not agree? I would agree 100%. I mean, what does it say? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention like most yeah. are most are stumbled upon uh, i don't find that to be true i find it yeah. to be effort and time and willing i mean mm-hmm. uh, again go watch those the men who built america and the food that built america mm-hmm. and you'd be amazed at how most of these companies started in the tireless hours that went in the cornflake i mean you would think that'd be something simple right right most people don't know it was kellogg's brother dr kellogg who actually had this food that he was serving because it had healing powers at his hospital and when you came in, you got this. Well, one night, the brother who was in charge of the kitchen accidentally left a batch out overnight soaking. Okay. And that's how the cornflake was invented. Wow. But he turned it, the doctor turned it down 20 times to sell it as a cornflake because it was used for the hospital purposes and it would sure. fail. And sure. his brother's not a business guy or whatever. Well, his brother busted his button <laughs> and failed multiple times. Uh-huh. Nobody remembers who the doctor is, right? You only know Kellogg's cereal. That's exactly right. So it's, you talk about that hard work and no excuses and a brother beating you down who's a successful brother. He's a doctor. He, you work for him. Mm-hmm. Years later, it didn't turn out that way. The medical office built, burnt down wow. and the brother only rebuilt it for him because he told him he wanted, he gave him like 20% of the, pro, or the company. He said, 
give me the rest of the company. You don't deserve any of it, but I'll give you your building back where your medical practice was. <laughs> wow. Built him his medical practice. Medical practice went out of business five, six years later. It's a hundred years later. We still eat in Kellogg's. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and there's so stories many, like that. No there's, excuses. There's so many of them around and mm. it's a thing. And I, Milton it, it, Hershey. Just, just, yeah. just choose, it just decided what you choose to ingest. Agreed. Would you agree? Oh I mean, yeah. It's, it's, what are you putting into your mind? Guard the gateway to your mind. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's another Jim Rohn quote, but for me, it always served me well. This has been great, my friend. Likewise. This is long overdue. Yeah. This was good. Absolutely. So you're coming back to see me, right? Oh, absolutely. I might make you wait till like 80 or 90, maybe 100 <laughs> shows, but you're definitely coming I'm back. I'm going to do 101. Yeah. Do 101. <laughs> Again, uh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks and, for having and, me. And on a personal level, thank for all you've done for the McKenna family as well. It I means, appreciate it. Means it. Thanks world, for what you've done for us. Yeah. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. All right, salute, my friends. Thank you, guys. Until next time, Michael Calden, Calden Creek Realty.